Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Saturday nights, all right for thinking, as the song says. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Hope you're out enjoying the sun. Uh, we we come out like crocuses, like buds, like flowers out to the sun here uh, in, in Canada. The streets are jammed and everybody's outside drinking deep of uh, the radiation that has been denied to us all winter long. And my God, what a winter it was too. So I hope you're out there enjoying stuff. I hope you're listening to this, uh, lying in the sun or doing some Frisbee golf outside or something equally enjoyable. So uh, we have uh, a full deck tonight. So I'm not going to start with an intro. We're going to dive straight in. Mike, who do we have first? All right. Up first is Alex. Alex wrote in and said, my wife wants to divorce me. Is it possible to save our marriage? And if not, what should I do to minimize the damage to our son? Wow. Alex, uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's going on, man? That's, uh, that's a rough situation. Well, yeah, it's, I don't know where to start, really. <laughs> uh, it's been like, like this the last years, year, I guess. Uh, we've been married for 12 years, almost. We've been together for 12 years, and we've been married for 10 years, actually. And it's been, I don't know, hit or miss, I guess. I can't say it was really happy all the time, and I can't say it was really bad, too, because... Uh, I could, I guess, start with my analysis on the situation, and then see if you can add something to it. Sure. Okay. Uh, I think I was a typical nice guy. <laughs> uh, I've been raised by by a single mom. Uh, my father divorced her when I was like 14, I guess, or maybe 12, I'm not sure. And I don't have really any positive memories of my father, I guess, so like I never missed him, for example. Uh, and uh, as a nice guy, I, I don't know. Did you read the Doctor Glover book, Normal Mister Nice Guy? Just, just. No, I. But I, I do understand the degree to which guys raised by raised by single moms end up being in the nice guy category. But I haven't read that. Oh book. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's a really good one. It's it's not just accurately describes problem. It offers really good solution. I think I've been following following it for for year and it's really helpful i think i changed a lot for the past years because i just for now i'm looking at the past me and it's just like like completely different person so if, if i may recommend it uh, i would because it's a really good one yeah and i again i haven't read it but the general way that men are raised these days is uh if you have balls you're wrong and that is something that is, um, it's insistent, it's brutal, it's never-ending, this, oh, boys with their toys, and men will be boys, and you're always wrong, and you don't have any emotional authority, and you can't ever have any traction in this relationship, and eye-rolling, and all this stuff, uh, it's really, uh, really sad. It, 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 the degree to which positive relations have degraded between the genders is not accidental, sadly, and it really is tragic. So um, 
the idea that a man can so, so for instance like in a marriage is a lot about emotional negotiation and the idea that a man can be really good at emotional negotiation is just something that most women find incomprehensible you know you always hear these oh boys men with their man caves and their tv and their beer and their you know their, their grunts and their monosyllabic crap and all this sort of stuff and uh the idea that women are these open flowers of emotional communication and men are these Easter Island statues of emotional dullness and so on. It's, it's not true. It, it is highly, highly insulting. And uh, it's hard to find people who recognize uh, the difference. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's slightly different here in Russia because we don't have this like feminine, feminism influence. But in kind of intellectual circles, it's still the same, I guess, mostly. So basically, in a nutshell, nice guy syndrome is a man who thinks he needs to cater to women, needs to achieve any attention, and uh, basically needs to pleasure, please women to be successful with them. And I think I've been that way. Uh, I've completely shy away from any leadership in the family. I thought that I was kind of addition to the family and I think it kills uh, kill all my attraction for my wife, really. And now I'm trying to kind of push it back, trying to grow a spine and a balls. Uh, but uh, I'm just afraid it's maybe too late and maybe once I start working on myself and once I start to start journey of self-knowledge, if I may say. Uh, I think I start to see some flaws in my life too, and I just don't want to go back. I, I, I would like to, I guess, rebuild our relationship once again, not, not from the scratch, but just realize that she should work on herself too, otherwise it will not work. And she did, did not show any signs that she wants to. So, What are her complaints about you, Alex? Uh, she's unhappy. She, we are just two different persons and all that sort of things. That's, that's, that's I mean, of course you're two well, different people. Because well, getting married to yeah, your Siamese twin is yeah, pretty freaky. Yeah. But uh, what, what would she say is uh, the complaints that she has? Well, that's basically it. So when I try to go for details, she kind of shy away from conversations and... Is she having an affair? Uh, no, I don't think so. I checked as far as I can, but I didn't find Yeah, that. just because when a woman has unspecified complaints about a man, uh, often it means that, at least in, in my opinion, I can't obviously say this is a 100% certainty, but when a woman has unspecified complaints like... I'm unhappy. What about me is making you unhappy? Oh, I don't know. We're just two different people and so on. It means that she's got her, in my view, it means that she's got her eye elsewhere. And um, if there's, because if there's nothing, and it means that it's very hard to fix anything, because if there's nothing wrong with you, then there's nothing that can be fixed about you to, to have the relationship continue. Kind of, yes. Yes. Wait, what is not low? Because if, you, if she says we're two different people, you can't fix that being the same person, obviously, right? So if she said, oh, I don't like that you work too much, then what you can do is say, well, I'll work less, right? Or if she says, uh, I don't like that you drink every night, you can say, okay, well, I'll stop drinking every night. But if she doesn't have anything about you that is a problem, 
then what are you supposed to change or fix, right? Uh, she's saying that she's not... Yes, uh, I understand the general idea, but there, there, there are some small complaints, what, what, what I think are small complaints, like you don't do dishes too much, but I don't think it's true first because I kind of main source of income in our family and I still do something, some things around the house, which is, I think, enough. And I don't know. Well, basically she's saying she's not attracted to me and sexually it's not, not okay. So Okay, so she's not attracted to you sexually. So, oh, Alex, yeah. I need you to... Uh, is that what she's saying? Yeah. Okay, so I, I need you to lead off with that rather than we're two different people because that latter one sounds a bit more important. Okay. Make sense? Yeah, sure. Okay. It's just... Yeah, I think it's it's general attraction questions. It's, just, it's like that she's not attracted to me anymore and... Have uh, you changed physically analysis? since you... Have you changed physically since you first got together? Uh... I think I uh, I gained some weight, like, uh, but but I lost it after after I started working on myself. I lost about ten kilos, I guess. Mm -hmm. So now I'm, I think now I'm in the best shape of my life, actually. All so. right. And um, so you physically haven't changed much. Uh, has she changed at all physically since you got married? Uh, not not too much, no. Right. And when did she, when did she first start complaining about not being attracted to you? Uh, I think about a year ago she took her finger or her ring off, and before that we had some issues. And she, I, I think she kind of tried to sweep things under, under the rug, and like I think she was not attracted, but kind of tried to tolerate it. And when she was she wasn't able to tolerate it anymore. She she said it out loud and kind of decided to break it. And when did she first drop the D-bomb, right? When she first started talking about divorce? A year ago, about a year ago. Uh, there was some, we, we had some issues like, I guess, four years ago. We almost broke up then, but we kind of fixed it. She apologizes. She said she was wrong, etc., etc. We didn't. And sorry, go we, ahead. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I think we didn't really thought through our issues back then. Like we did not realize what was wrong, what we should do to avoid this situation in the future, etc. So we don't rationalize it. And, then and has your think, income yeah. has your income changed at all? Uh, yes, uh, we had different, I think, difficult life because uh, I started to get my second education, and she worked on her PhD, and times were tough because we we had our son coming up these times and. I think it's just too much, I guess, because kind of... Wait, hang on. So she she huh? was working on a PhD and she got pregnant? Yes. How... Was it was planned? I mean, did she want to get pregnant? Uh, no, it, it, it wasn't planned, but we decided to keep it because... And when did she finish her PhD? 
she's still working on it. When so, is she planning on finishing it? Like this summer, I guess, maybe autumn. Okay, so would it be a fair thing to say that there's a possibility that she stayed with you to have you pay for her PhD, and when she gets her PhD, she wants to move on? I don't think she'll look at it this way, but uh, I don't know. Well, let's look I, at the pattern. Because, how long, is, no, how long no, has she no, been working I, on her PhD for? She's basically been a big fan of history since, since we met, so it's kind of, I think, main interest for her, really. Yeah, how long, ha how long has she been working on her PhD for? I don't know, like five years, maybe. Maybe and has she had a job? You said your income is different. Does she have a job at all? She had some. She stayed home with our son, which is, I think, okay. Um, and she occasionally have some part-time jobs, really, contract jobs. So basically, no. I mean, maybe a little bit part-time yeah, yeah. here or there. Right? Yeah, I think I, so, I, I make like and 85%. Did she, yeah, you have been um, working. Sorry, you've been married for 10 years. She's been doing her PhD for the last five did she have a job for the first five years? Nope. And how old is your son? Uh, he's five. He's five. So yeah. for the first five years, what did she do? She studied. Oh, she was well, doing she her master's? Had, she, yeah, yeah. Well, she had a job. She just, I think, back then, I was a student, too, and... Yeah, and I, I'm 31, and she's 31 too, so um, just I think it's worth mentioning. So, sorry, did she have a job for the... I just need to get clear stuff, man. Did yeah, she yeah. have a job for the first five years of your marriage? Part-time, part-time, I guess. It was part-time job. And too. you were a student, and she was working part-time, so was that enough to live on? Yes, it was okay. No, I, I was a student, and I worked too, so... First time we at first we, we were both students and then I start working and then she continued to study at, at her master. So yeah, but a master doesn't take five years, right? It's just it's it seems to me that she spent a lot of time at home or a lot of time not having a job, maybe doing a little bit of studying here and there. And why was that okay with you that you work, you bring home the income, she basically sits at home, does a little bit of studying. Did she? Did you not feel that she, it was important for her to get a job or anything like that? I don't know. I, I think I just kind of let it be that way, which is, was silly. But why? Because I was a nice guy who can say no to women. Oh, so she didn't want to have, she's like, I don't want to have a job. Uh, I want you to pay the bills. And you're like, okay. We didn't discuss it, but in general, yes, I think. Wait, so she decided not to have a job, and that meant you paid the bills, but there was no discussion of that. It just happened? Yeah. Uh, Are you ugly? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, why do you have to be you and a wallet in order to equal one of her? No, like, why wrong. does it need to be you plus rubles in order to be her, right? Right. No, it was wrong. I'm just trying to... I think you may... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get a judgment out of you. I'm just... Do you feel like you have to provide you 
plus money in order to hold a woman's attention? I, I think I had feel that way. Or okay. maybe I just don't, I don't know. It's just, I, I guess I thought it's kind of all people do it and I didn't really think about it. Now I don't think it's, it's okay. It's, what did your mom say about this arrangement? She was quite happy about it. She liked her. And your mom was like, no, she doesn't have to work, right? We didn't discuss it. I don't have a close relationship with my mom. We don't usually discuss deep stuff because... Well, it's not hugely deep, but um, what um, what did your mom live on while you were growing up? Did she work? Uh, yeah, she actually worked hard sometimes. She It was during the 90s, after the fall of the Soviet Union, and it was really nasty. Sometimes she had to work some really... Hot jobs. Okay. So now, when you were out working all day and you came home, was there like a hot meal on the table? Was the house clean? Did you not have to do that much at all around the house, or was she like, "Hey, you're paying all the bills, but housework got to be fifty fifty"? Uh, I think it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> uh, I think she she wants me to do housework still. Even even why I pay most of the bills, I, I don't think she insisted it should be fifty fifty. I just think she wants to me to kind of be part of it. Yeah, I just read this article the other day, which was why a man basically why a man has to do housework even if he's bringing home like why a man has to split housework even if he's bringing home the majority of the income. And it's like oh my dear God in heaven, oh. I mean, the the amount of logical contortions that had to be put through this argument that you're home and not working and you have all the time of the day to do housework. And even if you're really incompetent at housework and have a really big house, it's not more than two or three hours a day. And your man is out there busting his ass 10 hours a day with commute or more. So you've got two or three hours a day. He's got 10, 11 hours a day. But the housework needs to be 50-50. <laughs> like, oh, my God. How do people, like, I know you've got tits, but how do you say that with a straight face? I mean, I just find that amazing. Amazing. I think it's just just like woman feels that man should be part of it, too. And then some way it translates to 50-50, I think, which is just stupid. Well, I mean, it, if you can pull it off... Well, yeah, you know, sure. if you can pull it off, that'd be great. That'd be great. I mean, if 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 my wife or girlfriend was doing ninety percent of the housework, and I said, "Well, yeah, but you got to contribute half the money too," I mean, <laughs> people would be like, "You dickwad! You unbelievable jizzhead! How on earth can you demand that your wife do ninety percent of the housework uh, and pull in half the money?" As well. I mean, that's so, that would like, people would just be like, that's so sexist, right? But women pull this stuff and it's like, oh yeah, that sounds legit to me. Anyway, I know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh because I know it's a serious issue, but. No, no. Um, once again, I, I, I think I take red pill and I read about stuff on Monosphere and, and so I agree completely here. It's, it's really. But stupid. by then she's been trained to be lazy and entitled, right? I wouldn't say she's lazy. She's really kind of doing things and she had hobbies for example and 
Yeah, I think entitled is a good word. I think I wouldn't say she's lazy. It's just, yeah, she's entitled. That's that's true. Why don't you think she's lazy? Because she's she's active. She's like she she she's not laying on watching YouTube or chatting on Facebook all the time. She's active. She now as we have son, she's actually actively spend time with him. She she drawing. She like walking, doing stuff, inventing. She's walking. With, no, I mean, and therefore she's not lazy. No, no, yeah, it sounds silly, but I guess it's just a language. She's drawing stuff, and therefore she's not lazy. That's called a hobby. That sounds great. Well, I don't spend my days walking and drawing. That'd be lovely. Yes, I agree. It's a hobby, but it's not. It. I mean, it's not that she's like watching TV all day. You know. It's no, but that's walking. that's not what I mean by lazy. Ah, okay. Lazy is. Um, doing doing stuff that has value to people and you know the quality of his of her mothering i'm sure is fine and you know you listen to this show so i'm sure that she's a, a decent if not good mom but yeah. lazy like uh th- there there are lots of people who are incredibly lazy but work very hard right like i knew a guy once he was working on a rock opera <laughs> you know and and he would he would go to starbucks and he's like I'm going to work on my mar- my rock opera. Uh, you know, he'd come back, you know, maybe some lyrics, maybe a couple of ditties written down. He'd be down in the basement noodling away uh, on the um, the Hammond organ for his rock opera. And he had plots and characters and shit on the wall and all that. That, to me, is incredibly lazy. Yeah, okay. Because do something that is going to get somewhere, finish something, go out and try and sell it. And if it doesn't sell, do something else or do it better. And this went on for years, this rock opera. <laughs> and it's like, God damn it. I mean, I think uh, uh, Wagner wrote his entire ring cycle in less time than it took for this guy to write three songs for his rock opera. And I just, to me, like you say, well, he's hardworking. It's like, no, nah, he's a hobbyist. He's a hobbyist, but he's pretending he's not. Anyway, so. No, okay, um, okay. No, I think it's just... What what I wanted to say is just she's not like like laying on the couch all day. Okay, you know, she's active person. She's by your definition, it's laziness. So. Yeah, I mean, if she certainly isn't doing all the housework when she's home all day, right? Mm, that's for sure. It's just and not, if if I do. you know if if I. I don't know. I'm supposed to do these shows, right? Like I do these shows, these call-in shows and the shows that are solo shows and interviews. And if I say to the Free Domain Radio team, you know, hey, I'm going to go and take interpretive jazz dance, right? (laughs) And that's going to be my new thing. And, you know, I'm not sure when I'm going to get any shows done. Um, (laughs) And I think they'd say, uh, that's not really very helpful. That's not really very productive. It's nice that she doodles and draws, and it's nice that she walks and so on, but how about doing something that helps out the family? Yeah. I mean, is your son in school now? Uh, no. Uh, she has... Oh, I mean, he has. Uh, I mean, he has... <laughs> Uh, sections and yeah, basically sections like do he doing music, he doing preschool, uh, and he doing well, yeah, that's it. 
what is she going to do with her PhD in history? Is there a lot of jobs out there for that? Mm, I think there are possibilities. Uh, you think there are possibilities? Yeah, sure. What, what I don't know what say? that means. Ah, okay. I mean, if my wife was sucking up half a decade's worth of my salary in pursuit of education, I would kind of expect there to be something on the other side. Look, I took a master's degree in history, so, but, you know, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't sleep for them. I didn't sleep with anyone for the money, right? I mean, so what does it mean you think there are possibilities? I mean, what she's going to get, finish her PhD, um, she'll defend or whatever, and she, she'll get her doctorate. And then, I mean, does she have any jobs lined up? Does she have any opportunities lined up? I mean, how is this working? I mean, how is this, how is this chick going to pull in a paycheck at some point? Or if she doesn't want to pull in a paycheck, take over the running of the house and make your life a whole lot easier. And the running of the house, it's, it's not a tiny little thing. I was just talking about housework before. But, you know, pay the bills, uh, uh, do the taxes, uh, do any house repairs, manage all that stuff, um, and to do all the housework and laundry and, and, you know, maybe homeschool your kid. You know, that's, um, you know, that's a job. And, uh, and an honorable and, and decent and, and fine and important job. And errands, you know, food shopping and, and uh, all that. I mean, it's not insignificant. It's a lot easier than it used to be back in the day. But um, what is the plan? Like, let's say you guys don't get divorced. What is the plan when she gets her PhD? I mean, does she have, you know, like I live with a woman once and I'm like, hey, you got two months to pull home a paycheck. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't care if you get a paper route, you got two months, you know, uh, and, and, you know, this looking for work better be a full-time job, you know, like I go off for work in the morning at 7.30 or quarter to eight and I come home sometimes uh, six, seven o'clock, I would like to, you know, I think the reasonable thing to expect if I'm paying the bills, which I'm okay to do for like two months, the reasonable thing to do is you got to spend at least eight hours a day looking for work. Like that is your job is looking for work. And it just sounds like things are very loosey-goosey with you guys, right? Like, okay, you don't have to have a job. We won't really talk about it. Oh, you want to get a PhD? Okay, I guess I'll pay for that. And what's going to happen afterwards? I don't know. And it's just like, ah, right? I mean, she's living in this, this amniotic sack of pampered patriarchal unreality. Uh, no, she actually hasn't. I think she has different, several opportunities. She she could apply for a lecturer. Uh, and I think she she had a good chance at it, actually. And that's, that's, that's one. And the second one is she could start applying for grants, for grant monies, and bring some... She could start applying. She might have, right? These, these are not no, facts. No, I, 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 yeah, sure. Yes, because she, I'm describing opportunities to you. She will do one or another. I don't know why, which, which one. Because once again, because we are kind of getting a divorce and almost, I don't know, we live separate lives really now. Like we sleeping. So hang, hang on a sec, Alex. So I don't know, obviously, really anything about divorce laws in Russia. Uh, but um, if you get a divorce, I mean, uh, do you split child custody? Is that the default position? That's the default position no, 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 in a lot no. of places. You, you split child custody. Are you on the hook for alimony? I mean, how does that work? Uh, I think in Russia it's pretty straightforward. So uh, most likely, like like legally, if if we don't come to any arrangement, 
then she'll have like five days out of seven. Basically, she'll have full custody. I think it's it's called full custody. And uh, I'll have to pay 25% of my salary as a child support. Oh, boy. And that's that's the default position? Yeah. I don't think any, any another, actually. That's horrendous. Well, yeah. That's horrendous. I mean, of course, it should be. The default rational system would be 50-50 custody and nobody pays anyone else a damn thing for money, right? I agree. I'm sure. Right. So this is a, you know, because if it was like in a lot of places, like, oh, 50-50 and, you know, there's no real child support and so on, I'd be like, well, I don't know that you'll be missing much having this giant financial leech off your neck. But in this situation, of course, we're talking about she's just going to keep taking you for the next 15 years, right? Yeah. I don't know. 25% for my son sounds like fine, actually. The problem that I, of course, can't control any money. Because paycheck is fine. No, it's terrible. No, no, listen, you can <laughs> shake your head, man. You should not be paying her to take care of your son because you will be 50-50, like in a rational system, be 50-50, you're each taking care of your son, right? So then each of you have no, to no, then no, provide. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not talking about rational system, no. <laughs> I'm talking about the factual system, which is irrational. I think we might, I, I would really... Very much like it to be 50-50, of course, if we will manage to agree with her. Without, yeah, know. I mean, I think I think what would be fair, and, you know, she sounds like, uh, would you say that she uh, is an independent-minded woman? I mean, she's getting an education. She's smart. Uh, she's not a peasant, uh, you know, tied to a washing machine dropping babies like flies, right? So, she. I mean, I'm saying she's a feminist, but she is not uh, old-fashioned, let's say. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I so that would be, okay, so uh, I'll take him 50% of the time, you'll take him 50% of the time, and there's no alimony, and there's no child support. Well, yeah, sure, that, that, that's, that's what I wanted to negotiate. Right. So, the, I mean, the, the reason why this is such a tough issue, right, is is because she doesn't have any specific complaints other than... I don't find you attractive, and I don't know what that really means. Um, and you, maybe you should do some more dishes. I mean, the I don't find you attractive is obviously a big, uh, a big deal, but I don't know how to fix that. There's not a philosophical uh, cause for that. I will say this, though, that I do believe that accommodating a woman is like taking a giant hobnail boot and squashing her clitoris. That, I think, is um, one of the painful lessons that, you know, as a fellow son of a single mom, uh, that is not not good. And I don't mean accommodating, like, don't ever be nice. <laughs> be lovely, be nice, be delightful, and so on. But self-erasure for the sake of the woman's needs will kill her desire. I think that is pretty, pretty consistent, right? Yeah, it's like... It's absolutely to the contrary what everybody says, I guess, but <laughs> it's absolutely, it's just it's just true. It's like woman will walk over you and then lose respect and lose desire. Well, to you. I think in particular Russian women, wouldn't you say? Maybe. I mean Russian women cream their jeans over Vladimir Putin wrestling a bear, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's slightly different. It's it's like uh, like eighty five percent of Russian women do that, I guess. 
and uh, we are another fifty percent. So we kind of hate it. No, I get, I get there is. I mean, my first uh, real girlfriend was a Russian woman, and uh, it was an exciting experience in many, many really? different ways. Tell me, tell me about it. I'll tell the story one day, but um, very passionate, very intelligent, uh, um, uh, and. Uh, to me, it was like being strapped into a jet ski and somebody puts a brick on the accelerator and then there's a waterfall and then there's an ice cave and then there's a tsunami. And, you know, boy, if you can get through that, it's great. But there was just a lot of what are called shit tests, you know, like uh, uh, a lot of, um, you know, basically, let me see if you're <laughs> if you're strong enough <laughs> to take on the the Russian woman. It was uh, uh, it was uh, it was exciting. Let's put it that way. And um so, uh, I, you know, I think that you may have accommodated yourself into appearing sort of like a scrap of wallpaper in her mental vision, like not being present and there. And over-accommodation is bad for all relationships. Self-erasure, it's the old, it's appeasement. It's basically what it is. It's a little temporary peace and security, uh, but it undermines the basis of the relationship. There is never a time, in my opinion, there is never a time when a woman doesn't want to see you as strong. And strong doesn't mean unemotional. I mean, it can be very passionate, very emotional, um, vulnerable, and all those kinds of things. But there is never a time where a woman wants to be treated like some Fabergé egg and um, everything is accommodated. And, and you know, that is... Um, the princess is an asexual being because everyone does everything for her. And, it, you know, this is not... It's hard for kids as single moms to, to get this. It was for me too. But um, I just <laughs> I took a bunch of stuff to the dump today. Oh, here's my exciting. Here's my exciting day. So I drove, I took a bunch of stuff to the to the dump today. And I took some of Izzy's old toys and I put them out in the donation section. There were a bunch of kids there. I was chatting with them for a bit. Anyway, so, but there was this big giant box at the dump of books. You know, I'm still a book fiend. Uh, and um, I finally got around to reading Marsha Clark's book. Um, uh, on the O.J. Simpson trial, just because I was it one anyway. So there was this big giant box of books, and they were romance novels, right? And romance novels—they all have the same picture on the cover, right? It's some Fabio style guy with like the shoulders and abs of a steroided bull leaning over, apparently about to snap the woman's spine backwards while simultaneously crushing the breath out of her. You know, enveloping her in sweaty body axe muscle uh, while she, you know, faints in orgasmic climax. And these books are like insanely popular. Ins and, uh, you know, I'm not saying all women read them and so on, but, you know, like vampire books, Fifty Shades of Grey, these romance novels. Uh, and uh, holy crap. I actually once uh, applied for a job at Harlequin Books many years ago. Oh, this is many, many years ago. And uh, before I went in for the interview, I, you know, grabbed a dozen or so off the library shelves and I just plowed my way through them. And man alive, uh, it is just like, <laughs> you know, basically my, my womanly wiles made this blind, stupid, sexy oxen mad with desire and he gored me with his penis. I mean, <laughs> that is just basically, it's like ancient Roman bull sex or something. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy stuff. And so, you know, that is this, there's something important about that. And there's not, you know, a, a pasty looking guy uh, offering up a visa card on a silk pillow. 
to uh, to a woman. Uh, and so, again, not all women are like that. I get all of that. But there is something to be learned uh, from that, right? I mean, in the same way that there's something to be learned from men's view and preferences in pornography, there's something to be learned from women's preferences and views of pornography. So um, I think that your desire to kowtow to a woman to, uh, sorry, that's a bit colloquial, to, uh, so to, to appease and submit to and, and accommodate a woman, I mean, it comes obviously from, you didn't see a balance when you were growing up, right? You had a single mom, which means that there was nobody there to stick up to her. There was nobody there to confront her. There was no one there to, to um, limit her behavior. There was no one there you saw negotiating with her and sometimes winning as a husband would do. And so you basically, I assume that your single mom was pretty assertive, if not downright aggressive. So you always had to bend to her will. And I'm sure that when you're a single mom, the needs of your kids, oh man, you know, and you, you tell me this was in the 90s, right? So it's it can be even rougher. But when you're a single mom, you have like 12 plates spinning in the air, right? I mean, you're just, you're like a pinball bouncing from one mess to disaster to catastrophe to another. And holy crap, what happens is then you, you've got your boss's needs, you've got your landlord's needs, you, you've got 6 million things to do, you, you've got the errands, you've got the laundry, and it's just you. And what happens is then if your children have needs as well, it doesn't work. The whole thing comes crashing down if your children have genuine needs as well. The fewer resources that the parents have, and a single parent by definition is always running you know, six atoms of fumes close to the empty mark. A single parent is always running on empty. And if she has to accommodate her children's needs as well, and if she has to put her children's needs first, those plates, they just come crashing down. I mean, for a lot of people, even having two parents involved in parenting is a big challenge of, to, to get everything done. I mean, also, I mean, that's just within the household, right? You've got friends. Those friends have birthdays. You've got mother, uh, parents who have birthdays, extended families. They've got christenings. You've got, I mean, it's just crazy how much there is to do. And so generally what happens in single mom households, I don't know about single dad households, but in single mom households, generally what happens is the children have to erase themselves and their own needs in order for these spinning plates to not come crashing down and the whole thing grind to a halt. So, and you know, I'll, I'll stop in a second. You tell me if I'm wrong, but for you to have needs probably provoked quite a lot of aggression in your mom. And so you, you learned that with women to have needs is to be attacked and that the, the, the value that you add to a woman with 12 spinning plates is don't rock the boat. Don't have any needs. Don't cause her, don't distract her. Don't cause her to uh, drop any plates. Don't exist and be there for her convenience. This is one of the gravest dangers of the single mom household is that children have to self-erase for the entire uh, facade and charade to, to keep going. Does, does this resonate with you at all? Does it make any sense? I, I, I mean, I don't think I had a lot of aggression with my mom. So if I, if I kind of saying something about my needs, uh, she wasn't aggressive. She it's just it's just when I wanted to discuss my problem, like instead of just my problems, I have two problems, like me and my problems and her being, being upset about my problems. 
if it makes sense. Okay, so how did she express her upset at your problems? Uh, she just, like, I don't know, she's starting to uh, be upset about it, and that's it. She, instead of offering me some solutions, she just, she just being, like... All right, so I got to call you out on something here because we do have a list of your adverse childhood experience score. You say you didn't experience aggression from your mom. Um, so the first adverse childhood experience that you reported was verbal abuse and threats. Was that not coming from your mom? Uh, no, it was from my stepfather. Yes, yeah. Oh, so you, so the mom that you, the the the, the father that your mom chose to be your stepfather was verbally abusive and, and threatening. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, he was just really hard. He was really... So, like, but she chose him to, to be around, right? So she's responsible for that yes. aggression being yes, in your life, yes, right? Yes, okay. yes. Okay, got it. Um, household member depressed, mentally ill, or suicide attempt? What was that? Uh, no, it's... it's I, it was like half point I guess for me because my my mother was always worried about things just just constantly anxious okay okay my stepfather was really I maybe depressed maybe depressed it's a bit strange walk maybe he was just moody all the time just Russian well he was like mm, Russian multiplied by another Russian, I don't know. Right, right, Russian square. More, right. more than Russian, yeah, Russian square, yeah. Right, right, okay. So it wasn't so much that you experienced aggression, but whenever you had needs, it would be a negative experience to express those needs, right? Right, right. It was okay. convenient for me to stay in shadow and like keep everything to myself and... Right. Okay. So you can see this pattern with your wife, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm no, as you know, I'm no marital therapist and I'm no psychologist or anything. So I'm just giving you idiot amateur advice over the wire. So take it for what it's worth. No, it's okay. If it's you don't change, it seems to be inevitable that you're going to get dumped. Yes. But there's another thing, I guess, because I think I changed a lot since in the last year and it's, seems like she don't like it because like when I try to stand up to her and call her on her like she didn't like it and when I start taking care of myself and spend time on myself and like buy things for me she didn't like it for example well, why, is, why is that a problem? I mean women are often very excited by men who are inconvenient. I mean, <laughs> show me the male in a woman's romance novel who is wildly convenient <laughs> to the woman. Well, yeah, because, yes, uh, it's basically, it, it, it should work, I think, for our marriage, the fact that I'm kind of stronger now and taking care of myself. Well, well no, I, I don't know if it will or it won't. I mean, I don't know if it will or it won't, but I think it's your best shot. And, you know, I'm not saying be a jerk or be mean or I, I'm not saying anything like that, obviously. Right. But you you are in the exciting and perhaps enviable position for some people of having nothing to lose as far as things go. Mm -hmm. 
And um, so, so uh, I, you know, asking a woman what she wants is losing already. Because it's, it's like those people who say, who do you want me to be so you'll like me? It's like, how about someone who doesn't ask me that question? That would be nice, right? So, um, yes, but it I didn't, think, didn't work so far for me. I don't know why. Well, you haven't expressed any anger in this entire conversation, so I'm not sure. Maybe this is a big change for you, but you still seem very emotionally monotone. Like in the first 10 minutes, I'm like struggling to pay attention because you seem very emotionally disconnected from this imminent disaster in your family. Like I don't get any sense of emotionality from you. So if this is you in connection with your inner testicular chakra or something, then I don't can't even imagine what you were like before. Yeah, I think I think I had huge issues experiencing emotions and showing emotions and not, now it's better. It's just I, I just really tired, I'm sorry. Wait, this <laughs> is you better and you're wait, are you blaming being tired? Because being tired often makes people more emotional, right? And and if you're too tired to have a chat with me, Alex, why did you bother calling? No, I'm not too tired to have a chat. I'm just too tired to be, like, expressive, I guess. I don't know. Wait, are you saying that you feel the emotions, but you're too tired to express them, or you're too tired to have any emotions at all? Too tired to express them. And uh, regarding the situation, on, on my marriage, I think now I'm not, not really emotional about it because, like I, I, I thought it, it it's been it's been this way for a year, you know. So I cried a lot and I expressed anger and I been angry. It's just like I I I possess it inside me. I, I feel like now I'm calm. Okay, not, so not, you're not, resigned not, and you're fundamentally indifferent to the success of your marriage, right? No. Because you're, you're giving me the runaround here, right? I'm saying you're not emotional. You yes, say, oh, I'm think, tired, right? And then, right. then I, I say, think, well, I, are you too yeah. tired to have a chat? You say, no, I'm not too tired to have a chat. It's like, well, do you feel angry? No, I'm, I'm resigned to it. Are you resigned? No, I'm not resigned. You, you, you understand. You're giving me a runaround here. Okay, I, I think you're right. I think uh, I think now I'm kind of indifferent to, to outcome. I think I'm indifferent to our marriage, really, because uh, I don't see what I can do. And... So what, what do you want to talk about then? I wanted to talk about if we get divorced, how can we, what, what should I do to minimize damage to our son? So the, I thought some of this was about whether your marriage can be saved. I thought that's what you let off with. Oh, yeah, it, it is. It's just, I guess I just wanted like... Okay, but Alex, I'm telling you that if you want to save your marriage, you have to get in touch with your emotions. If you say, well, no, now, oh, if that's the standard, then I'm not going to do that because I'm fundamentally indifferent. And now let's just talk about post-divorce. How do I help my son, right? Oh, no. Okay, sure. Uh, okay, I have to be in touch with emotions. I think I think you're right. I think. I don't mean your touchy-feely emotions. I don't mean you're crying in a feeling emotions. What I mean is like, <sighs> this woman took advantage of you. There was a nice guy. She She knows you come from a single mom household, right? Yeah. Okay. So, ladies, you know this. I'm just talking to the ladies for a moment, if you don't mind. Ladies, you know this, that if the man comes from a single mother household, his sexual position is roll over and submit, maybe tickle my belly a little bit and throw me a fucking kibble. That's what they got. 
because they were raised not to have any needs. Uh, the single mom, uh, spinning plates to put it as nicely as humanly possible, crushed and dominated. They don't have a male role model, and all they know how to do is defer for the convenience of women. Because they also see a giant smoking crater where the last guy who stood up to their mom was, he got booted from the family. So it's like, I don't want that to happen to me. So when you are raised by a single mom, all the women know this, right? All the women know this. You're raised by a single, oh, you're the kid of a single mom. Ka-ching, baby, you are going to do anything that I say. Has vagina, dominate you like the <laughs> vulva-hooded eye of Mordor. And uh, women all know this. And it's like, to me, it is incredibly predatory to, to fix on, <laughs> to fix on to the son of a single mom and uh, drain his finances and his uh, achievements and his will to live, it seems, with Alex, right? And drain him dry of his emotions. It's predatory. And to be fair and equally gender neutral, it is completely unfair for men to fixate on girls who are raised or women who are raised without dads and exploit them sexually because they've got a giant masculine hunger hole where their daddy should have been. And men have a giant willpower crushed smoking crater where their dad should have been. So we all get that it's wrong to go and exploit women who got daddy issues and use them for sex and toss them aside. We also get we should get that it's wrong to exploit men for their resources because they happen to have the bad luck and misfortune to be raised by a single mom. <sighs> anyway, so I'm, you know, you got exploited because you came from a single mom household, so you're used to deferring to women, and you get negative experiences from not deferring to women, and you are punished in overt or covert ways for being inconvenient to others. And so you turn yourself into a kind of sea snake, trying to swim up a waterfall, try not to make any mess, try not to have any ripples, try not to get hit by anything. And then women come along and say, oh, baby, oh, this guy, he's smart. He can make some money. He's never been taught how to stand up to a woman. Let me jam my proboscis so far down his throat, I can suck the essence out of his balls. Okay. Uh, I guess I supposed to fear anger, but I just uh, now now I don't really feel anything. I don't know why. Maybe maybe it's because maybe it's because I've been angered, so and now I'm like I don't know. Now I'm done. I don't feel it because I kind of did it already, or maybe I just really unable to, to feel anything. And you know, I'm talking about, I'm, here I'm talking about how you can help your son, right? Not, mm -hmm. uh, not how you can help your marriage. Yeah. I mean, what is your son, what, what, what is he drinking deep from the well of your masculinity? What is he getting from you? What is he seeing? If, if your son were, ha, would have the vocabulary to jump on the microphone and describe his dad, Alex, what would he say? Mm. Don't think about it too much. You've had a five-year relationship with this little boy. You know what he would say about you. What would he say about you? I think he would say I do stuff with him. I, like, build things with my hands. No, that's doing. 
Not not yes. what you I didn't ask what you do. What's he like? What is your dad like? Not what does he do? What is he like as a person? What are the characteristics that you have absorbed from his personality? What is manhood as you see it through your dad? Uh, okay, he's calm. Uh, I don't know. You took you took me by surprise. Really... Good. I'm trying to get through to something real here. Something that's yeah, not yeah, an yeah. intellectual abstraction. Yeah. He's calm? <laughs> that's what your son, after five years of you being his dad, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but you're trying to tell me that all you can come yeah, up with I, is, I, I, my no, dad yeah, is calm? I don't, I don't know, really. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know, maybe it's, it's just it's hard for me to myself in, in the shoes or a five-year-old, but... Yeah, and that's why I said if he had the vocabulary, because children's minds advance far, be far beyond their vocabulary, right? Vocabulary is like a tiny little hole that their thoughts get through. What would your son say, Alex, about how men and women get along? How, how does it work? What would he say about that from seeing mommy and daddy? Uh, well, I hope you will have another example, honestly. <laughs> or maybe what would he say don't 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 abstract that of me. I can't he, have a conversation. He would say that, he would say that men and women live in separate bubbles. I think because now we are living in separate bubbles. He would say that men and women are don't understand each other and yell at each other, and that woman trying to yell at man and man yell back sometimes, and. Wait, so you he would he seen you and your wife yell at each other? Well, yeah, sometimes. It usually it it usually like he yelled at me. Oh she she trying to she she yelled at me. And uh then I started to like fight back because uh I think it's better than just go away in front of my son. And, and does she call if, you names? Uh yeah. And what are the names that she calls you, Alex? Like, 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 she called me lazy. She called me like uh, slow-minded, I guess. Like dull-witted kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she compared me with other men, not in my favor, of course. Then what does she say about? Hopefully, she's not like a guy describing the fish he caught. But what uh, what does she say about other men, and and how does she compare you negatively? Uh, she said the other men doing more for their wife than I do. So it's kind of, you know... You mean like dishes or, or something else? I mean like, like yeah, like physical stuff, stuff like like money and like dishes and like... I don't know. So she's trying to shame you by saying that you're not yes, a man, yes, yes, right? Yes, because yes. other men, uh, you know, go work 14 hours a day down a coal mine, rub their wife's feet, do all the dishes and laundry, and, and basically have relationships of radical inequality and exploitation, right? Is that? Well, yeah. And That's you're lazy because you go to work, but she's not lazy because she fucking draws and walks, right? Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> when did she first start calling you these names, Alex? Uh, a year ago, I guess. But I, I think that... Before that, uh, she just kind of piled it down inside her. Um, then but you, you, you didn't you start taking the red pill about a year ago? 
Yeah. So a year ago, you start breaking out of the matrix. You start standing up for yourself a little more. And she escalates and tries to put you back down into the little castrated box, right? Uh, yeah. I think, I think yes, I think it, it is. She just, I'm not sure she's trying to put me back because she's just saying that she don't like kind of new me because because sometimes I'm saying rude things too. I mean, things she considers rude. And yeah, that's not what she signed up for. She signed up for an ATM doormat, right? Uh, a, a bank spitting out money doormat, right? And and now you're changing and you're standing up for yourself and you're having your own thoughts and opinions and you are pushing back when you feel things are unfair and she doesn't like that, right? Well, yeah, that's one way to look at it. Well, I'm, I don't want to look at it one way like the wrong way. Tell me how the right way. You start taking the red pill a year ago, she starts insulting you a year ago, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's, that's, that's not that's to lift what, you up. That's what, not to encourage you on your journey, right? That's to have you uh, uh, flinch I'm back sorry? from whatever it is you're doing, right? Yeah, I think maybe she's just ignoring it, or, or maybe she, she's kind of. I don't know. It looks maybe, like maybe, I'm maybe, doing maybe. More. So you you fog yourself out with this. Well, that's one way to look at it, and maybe this, and maybe that. Right, dude, I'm talking to you about your life. Don't maybe me. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I mean, don't give me these maybes. I mean, yes or no, fine. But maybe this, maybe that. Oh, maybe she's a cyborg space alien and she'll suck out your brainstem through your ass. I don't know, right? But <laughs> let's deal with some facts here, right? I don't really have a lot more to say uh, other than it is hard to change the existing structure of a relationship. Uh, it is, you know, if you've been a certain way for 10 or 12 years, I guess they've been together 12 years, married for 10. If you've been a certain way, you've been this accommodating one-armed ATM, no demands, no requirements, no needs, no, right? Then it is um, it is tough to change that. And you don't do it by screaming at people, yelling at people, whatever. Uh, you can be assertive with a very quiet voice, right? I mean, that's important. Uh, and in, in some ways, the quiet voice works really, uh, really well. So assertiveness uh, can have something to do with like, there is no way that you could ever talk to me like that, particularly in front of her son. You know, like, you do not get to call me names. You certainly don't get to call me lazy when you've spent the, the past half decade noodling around getting a history PhD with no particular plan for employment. You don't get to call me lazy. You don't get to call me names. You know, we may have our problems. We have fathered a child together and absolutely in no way, shape or form are you to disrespect me in front of my child. That is my son. And if you disrespect me in front of my son, he will not grow up hating me. He will grow up hating you. I don't want that for you as the mother of my son, for you to indulge in this petty emotional viciousness which may make you feel that better in the moment, may feel like you've got some level up thing going on in the moment. But by God, that is going to put a stake through the heart of your relationship with my son. Even if I say absolutely nothing about it, he's going to see that. Mom is just mean. And um, I, won't, uh, I won't put up with it. I absolutely will not put up with it. No matter what happens, you know, we, get, we, we stay together, we get divorced. We are still co-parents for the next 15 years. And we can either do it uh, in a way that is civilized and hopefully stay together, we can split up and do it in a way that's civilized or it can get ugly. And if it's going to get ugly, which I really hope it won't, then it's going to get ugly. Uh, but I'm still going to stand for the same standards 
in relationships. And if it gets ugly, I am not going to hide your ugliness from my son. I am not going to cover up for you. I am not going to make up stories for you. I am not going to pretend that it's any different than what it is. And if my son asks me, I'm going to tell him the truth, which is that I came to you and I said, we need to deal with each other in a more civilized way. We need to not, you may call each other names, we need to not insult each other, no matter what. No matter we stay together or don't stay together, we're still tied together because of the son. My son comes to me and says, what happened with you and your mom? I said, well, I really wanted to work it out. I said, let's go to therapy, uh, which I hope you'll suggest at some point. Let's go to therapy. Let's not call each other names. And my uh, and your mom didn't want anything to do with it. She just wanted a divorce. And it was against my wishes. Uh, it was against my preferences. That's what she wanted. You know, one of the reasons women get away with this shit is that uh, men don't tell the truth to the kids, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not saying you've got to call her horrible names or anything like that, but state the facts about the people in uh, in your life and the people in your how do you protect your children you tell them the truth you tell them the truth now if you've put everything you can into saving this marriage then your wife walks off anyway then she she's at least going to walk off with the knowledge that you're not going to lie to your child about what happened you're not going to lie to your child about what happened you're going to take ownership and say yeah you know i could have stood up for myself a lot more and i should have I shouldn't have been exploited. Uh, that's the way I was raised. I thought it was the right thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. And please, son, never, ever let a woman exploit you because it is disrespectful to her soul to buy her vagina. And so don't ever let that happen. Uh, don't ever let a woman uh, beat you down and, uh, and take things from you. And if you have a woman, when you express a preference that she doesn't like, if she gets upset or withdraws or snarls or storms or gets anxious or runs out of the room or takes to bed or has cold compresses on her forehead or plays to Zeus for forgiveness for your sins, run screaming. Because uh, anybody who is going to attack you or withdraw from you for having your own authentic needs and preferences is someone you cannot have in your life in the long run. You can't do it because we don't get to live forever. We don't get to be ghosts after we die. So for God's sakes, don't be a ghost before you die. Yeah. And how, how damaging divorce is because... It's damaging. Yeah. It, it, is, it is damaging, but you cannot, you cannot keep her if she wants to go, as you know. You, oh, yeah, you, can, uh, no, you can put everything yeah. you can put everything that you want into keeping that marriage going. If she wants to go, she's going to go. It is the, what what is damaging. I mean, to I, children? I can't. I what, can't what is damaging to children? Myself. Hang on, hang on. I'll, I'll be I'll be done in a sec. What is damaging to children, Alex, is not getting the truth. Yeah. Not okay. getting the truth. That is what is damaging. Children can handle astonishing levels of honesty oh kids you know they like to be they like their illusions they like their santa claus they like their fantasies that's bullshit it's adults who like fantasy children like rock solid bottom of the barrel scrape it up spread it on toast and give it to them in one bite they like the truth kids love the truth and kids know the truth when they hear it and, uh, you know, when I was in theater school, we used to make jokes about, like, bad children's theater, you know, where the people are creeping across the stage and doing this little sing-song. They got big, funny noses on their faces. And it's just like, kids, like, if that's why you can't arm children in, in kids' theater in places, because they just want to shoot people like that. I mean, you can do very powerful, very direct uh, drama and stories 
with uh, with children, and they find it very, very exciting. I was out for a walk with my uh, daughter. <laughs> we playing today. We playing this game that we're being chased by wolves. Damn, it was fun climbing trees and oh my god, I'll take this one. You run. I mean, they they get very direct and very exciting stuff. Uh, and divorce is particularly harmful, in my opinion. Divorce is particularly harmful because nobody tells the truth. And I get why it's hard to tell the truth in divorce because you're still bound to the woman. And I'm not saying this is true of your wife, but it's like, yeah, I was raised by a bitch and I married a bitch. You know, I mean, I'm not saying you say that to a five-year-old, right? But, you know, at age-appropriate times, be frank. What happens? I mean, God, I could never find out the truth about my parents and why the hell they split up because everybody was like either running their own agenda, which I knew was bullshit, or they were trying to be overly nice, which I also thought was bullshit. It's like, Jesus, just tell me the truth. Why the hell? I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if, if my uncle dies of lung cancer, say, because he smoked two packs a day, you know, just say it was a mysterious alien space ray that hit him in the chest. I mean, give me the facts that allow me to avoid these disasters. And what I think is so harmful to children after a divorce is they pass into this weird... Nazgul Lord of Lies world where everything is like, oh, you know, mommy and daddy are still great friends. It's like, well, why aren't you great friends who are fucking then? Because if you're great friends, why aren't you living together? You know, you always hear this from like, I don't know, the stars and they get divorced, you know, we're still the best of friends. It's like, well, then why the fuck are you divorced then, people? I mean, do you not, you, oh, it's because you want to have sex with people who are really your enemies that you won't still have sex with people who are your best friends? No, <laughs> I want to find somebody I really hate and hate fuck them. So uh, it, it's what happens in divorce is you pass into this realm where there's no reality to what happened. There's no truth about what happened. Uh, men do it. I think out of fear of women, and women do it out of fear of themselves, right? So, you know, why uh, did you marry, oh, your dad was such a loser, your dad was like, then why the hell did you marry him? You know, but, but you can't ask that basic question. Now, if a woman says, you know, I was raised in a bad environment and I didn't do the work that was necessary, I kind of knew I needed to do it. I mean, Dr. Phil's on, number one daytime TV show, there are books all over the self-help section, is, is bigger than the section on philosophy, God help us. But I knew I had to do this work. I knew I had to really get, get self-knowledge going, but I didn't. And your dad was charismatic, and I thought he was going to make a lot of money, and I was willing to put up with his shitty behavior uh, because I'm an idiot, and I really made a bad mistake. Now, that's being helpful to your son, right? Hugely helpful to your son and your daughter saying, these are the mistakes I made. Here's how not to make them, right? That's having self-ownership, self-responsibility. Now... Or, so either it's like, you know, he was a, he's a jerk, he was a loser, he was a drunk, he was abusive, he was like, but you didn't have to marry him. Did he ever do these things before you got married? No, he was wonder Like, you get into this bullshit, up is down, black is white, uh, you can sneeze Santa Claus if you hold your breath long enough, kind of unreality. Or it's like, we're still great friends. I love your father. I just couldn't live with him. It's like, what kind of message is that to send to kids? You know, you don't want too much love. You, you, you want to have a little loathing in with your love, you know, because that's how you find people attractive in the long run. For heaven's sakes, don't actually love the person without hating any part of them. I mean, you got you to gotta mix it up. You know how food is good with a little bit of spice? You know, you, you want your love with a nice, good 
punch to the solar plexus shot of distinct loathing. You know, you, you just got to, you know, I mean, you want to kiss someone, but at the same time, you want to Robert De Niro style chew their fucking cheek off. That, that's, you know, you want, you want to have sex with them, but you also want to punch them straight in the head. That's the best way. You know, love is an open heart and a crash helmet. That's what you want uh, in your love. I mean, that doesn't, because when you say, oh, we're still the best of friends and, you know, we just couldn't quite get along. And it's like, what? <laughs> Isn't the whole point of being best friends that you get along really well? So, um, yeah, I just, uh, you just, just be honest. You know, you take ownership for the mistakes that uh, you made, you know, my daughter gets older and she'll ask as she will, you know, did you date people before mom? And I'd be like, I did. And boy, did I make a lot of mistakes. I really, really made a lot of mistakes. And I had some excuses for making those mistakes. I had a very bad upbringing, but at the same time, I should have known better. You know, I should have done the work. I should have gone into therapy long before when I did, uh, uh, and I should have done more self-work. I should have raised my game. Um, there's reasons why I didn't. I, I don't blame myself for it. I don't castigate myself for it, but I do have ownership for it. And to be, to be honest about these things is really essential. And what happens in a divorce is children pass from the sunlit uplands of reality into the minds of Moria, Nazgul-laced, Lord of the Rings, overloaded, metaphorical, land of lies. And then it's very, very hard for them to ever get any common sense or reality out of things. Yeah, that's, that's a really good, good point, I think. Because it, it always bugs me, like, people after divorce saying, saying that we are just, we just can't live. Basically, what are you saying, you know? It's, we just drifted apart. Yeah, 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 yeah. We just what are you, gr gr grow fucking apart. leaves on the stream? You got no willpower? We just drifted apart. <laughs> oh, my God, that's sad. Uh, yeah, and, I'm and, a uh, boat. I think that's exactly, because because I think uh, I'm a boat is, is, I'm a boat attitude is what is one of the reasons probably main reason because I'm so reluctant about about this marriage because my wife she's always like she's always saying this sort of bullshit like she never takes ownership for her actions and she she always like we are just two different people we are just don't understand each other instead of you know we have this issue like let's work on it that that's the problem that's how we could possibly fix it or that's the problem. Uh, I don't know how can I fix it, right? Women break up with a man. Listen, Alex, women break up with a man when they think they can do better. Well, yeah, that's... that's she shuts. When she says you're lazy, she's basically saying, and now I have the sexual marketplace value to get a man who's less lazy. Right? When she says, I'm not attracted to you, she's saying... You know, my hypergamy, my desire to marry up, uh, you are, now that I have this PhD, I want to go for a guy who's richer, who's more educated, who's what, 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 right? And this is, this is the great challenge. You know, people are like, well, how do you hang on to women? It's like you keep borrowing alpha wood. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, you, you got to keep, uh, you know, Angelina Jolie is not leading Brad, leaving Brad Pitt because he's the ultimate alpha for a lot of women, right? And uh, I mean, what's the Duchess of Cambridge like that 
semi-bald guy who can't pull off a real smile but makes his mouth look like the grill of a 57 Chevy. Um, Prince Andrew? William? One of those. <laughs> One of those mafioso clan offspring. But, uh, you know, what's she going to do? I'm going to trade up from the Prince of England, right? I mean, uh, until Jesus comes down and is on the market, you know, that's not really going to uh, happen, right? So she got her PhD. Uh, she's in her early 30s. Now is the time to make the move, right? Which is why she's getting restless and she's she's added a lot to her uh, marketplace value. And I don't know what the culture is like in Russia, but I am really trying to um, get people not to date single moms for a variety of reasons. But one of them is that if if single moms don't have marketplace value, then they'll stay with their boyfriends or husbands. Because like if I could have my way and nobody would date a single mom, then your wife would be like, okay, well, I can't go out and get another guy because I'm a mom. So I'm staying with this guy. I'm going to work it out. But because all these idiots are out there who are willing to date single moms, then they're like, okay, Family breakup time, because other guys will date me. Whereas if dating a single mom is not what men will do, then single moms, then they won't become single moms. They'll generally stay with their uh, boyfriend or, or husband. So, Yeah, I think there might be an option where a single mom is an actually okay choice. It's I'm sorry, can you say, I missed the beginning of that. Can you say that again? Uh, yeah, I'm saying that there might, might be an option where a single mom is an okay choice. Like, like if she, what, what is an example, option where a single mom is an okay choice? If she realizes her mistakes and like like basically like re reverse situation of our situation, I guess. She's a, she's destroyed a family. No, uh, for example, if husband destroyed a family and she realized mistakes on her part and, and wait, the husband destroyed the family. Well, if if no it no no it happens, it no happens. women choose men, Alex. Women okay. choose men. Come on, it's a mutual process, obviously. It's, it's no, it is not a mutual process. It is not a mutual process. In 19 times out of 20, statistically, 95% of dates are initiated by men. Yeah, but... Men but go and ask women out, and women evaluate. There's this conveyor belt of penises going by, and women are like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. That's what they do. Women choose who they date. They choose who they get married to. Any woman who's not got a foot growing out of her forehead, and I'm sure there's a market for that on eBay somewhere, has a reasonable number of men who will go out with her, right? At least half a dozen to a dozen men women can choose from if they're not, like, fugly, right? And so your mom could have chosen any number of men to go out with. She chose to date get engaged to, get married to, have a child with your father. She chose that. She chose that. Listen, there are experiments where they send an attractive man into a bar, like a, a 10, a total stud muffin. And he's so good looking. And he goes up to a lot of women and says, I'd like to have sex with you. And the women all say, no, <laughs> right? And they do the exact same experiment with a 10, a woman who's really attractive and in a bar uh, or, or a hotel bar or something. She says, I have a room upstairs. I'd like to have sex with you. What do the men say? Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. 
I don't care if you've got so many STDs, there are asps crawling out of your hoochie-coochie. I don't care if there's radioactive bubbling and the Joker's getting his face melted between your labia. I'm coming up and I'm going to do something because eggs, right? So <laughs> men are constantly putting themselves forward to ask women out, to date women, to get women to go out with them. And the women are like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. I've got this big forest full of penises waving at me and I can choose and grab and yes and no. And women, men propose, women dispose. It is not a mutual process. And almost nowhere in the animal kingdom is it a mutual process. And we are animals. And because, because women have so much more to lose from pregnancy and like men can go and impregnate 20 women in a day. More if he's willing to use a turkey baster. More if he's 19, right? But, I mean, holy crap. I mean, women, if they get pregnant, a man impregnates a woman, he could go off and do whatever he wants. A woman gets pregnant, she's going to get a baby, which is a 20-year commitment and breastfeeding and uh, less access to quality men and stretched out stretch marks and sagging boobs and no sleep. I mean, because it is such a massive commitment for women and such a tiny commitment for men to make a baby, men propose and women dispose. That's the way it works. And your mom could have chosen a better guy. And your mom could have chosen a better stepfather. That's why I was sort of pointing out, so she's responsible for this guy being in your life, right? Well, yeah, sure, she's. I, I mean, she's just not 100% responsible because... She's, she's responsible. Sure, I'm not trying to absorb responsibility. Okay, I've got to move on because we're just going back and forth in Fogland here, but I really appreciate the call. I hope you'll uh, uh, get your wife to go into some kind of therapy and, and do what you can to save the marriage. But my goal with you is, uh, you know, be honest with your kid in an age-appropriate fashion about what goes on. But uh, all right, thanks very much. Let's move on to the next caller. All right, Andrew is up. He wrote in and said... Is it possible to morally serve in the military? And what should a person do if they have already enlisted? And this is not a theoretical question. <laughs> I know, I get that. <laughs> Lock and load, baby. Lock and load. That was Andrew, right? Yes, yes. That's all me. right. How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing all right. All right. Um, how did you end up in the military, my friend? Not uh, like, you know, but you kidnapped or anything. And I don't mean that in any confrontational way because, you know, you're armed. But uh, what? Uh, what <laughs> um, I grew up in a very small town. Or, well, I went to high school in a very small town. And uh, most of my classmates ended up in the military. Something like 40% of my graduating class wound up in the military, which is a lot more than average. <laughs> um, Boy, what kind of shitty school was that? Uh, tiny school in South Dakota, so... <laughs> Well, no, I mean, look, small schools can be, you know, at least they're yeah. less politically correct than the bigger ones. I mean, was, was it a bad school? Uh, it was a public school, so I didn't but think it was. But even by public school standards, would you say yeah. it was not? I yeah, mean, it, was, it was not a great school. It was, I, I mean, I haven't been to very many schools, so I <laughs> can't really compare it. Just 40% is like, well, I could go to college or murder gang. Right, okay. Oh, yeah. And some of those went to like the National Guard or the reserves or whatever, because that way they could pay for their college, which is one of the big reasons why people do it, to my knowledge, is to pay right. for college. Um, and so, 
you know, and I also, I was looking to travel and uh, become independent from my parents uh, was a big thing. Um, I didn't have exactly the best childhood ever. So I wanted to get out of my small town. Don't skim over that part, you know. This show (laughs) is all about digging into the archaeology. So what what happened in your childhood, Andrew? Uh, So my dad, he had, um, or he still has, a major depressive disorder. He's uh, been struggling with that basically his whole life. Uh, And my parents got divorced when I was around 10 years old. Uh, And with my mom... my mom, I went and lived with my mom. Uh, and, and sorry, did you, I don't know if you were listening to the last bit. Yes. Of the, I w- the yeah. Does and that, does it like, like, like passing yeah, that, into the land of shadows and lies? Does that yes, resonate that with you at all? Or was that more particular to me, Alex? That okay. speaks to me a lot, actually, quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to get out of that situation. I wanted to go somewhere else and for my entire life, everybody tells me, oh, it's moral, just, righteous to go serve in the military. It's it's serving your country. It's good for you. You're going to Sorry, get who was saying that? Uh, people in my community in general and, you know, the media and, you know, things that I see around me. And what did your parents say? Uh, I think they agree with the the theory that it's a like a upstanding career, like a good career for an upstanding citizen to be in the military and serve their country. Right. Right. Okay. But you said you think it's a little yeah. detail that did not escape I me. I mean, yeah, I haven't really talked to my parents about this all that much. I mean, I live no, but on the you other. You did say you were going to, jo- you wanted to join the military at some point. You talked about that with your parents, I'd assume, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, when they, when we discussed it, uh, my mom had some concerns with like uh, my career choices, but once I decided on what I ended up doing, she was uh, fairly happy about it. She just didn't want me going into like a combat situation. Right. Okay. But I mean, you're too smart based upon what you're doing in the military. We don't have to get into any of those details. But from what I know about what you're doing in the military, you'd kind of be wasted on the front lines, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. You ain't cannon fodder material, my friend. Um, okay. So um, your question is how to be a voluntarist in the in the military. Uh, I guess my question was: Is there a, like, is there a way to to be in the military and uh, it's not be a bad person, basically. Because, and, and I've come to the conclusion, and what that's one of the reasons why I've decided that I'm, try, I'm taking steps to get out of the military now, uh, that I can't do that in my, in my personal situation. But I think that there's a place for, uh, or there's a, there's a requirement for security, I guess, uh, for human beings. People need to feel secure and feel safe in their homes and stuff like that. Oh, I'd go further than that. I mean, Andrew, what you're doing is a deterrence role, right? Yes. I mean, I'm not way. I mean, I'm not a military expert, but but yeah, you're and I, I can't really deterrence. discuss everything that I do. Uh, Don't discuss I anything that you I do. I can't but discuss anything that I do. But yeah, yeah. But, and but people, you are in a you are in a deterrence role. You are like 
you know, don't don't fuck with this role, right? Yeah. Now, I'm a huge, you know, the fact that I've made it to 48 and have not been blown up in a war is almost exclusively to do with deterrence, with the mutually assured destruction scenario, right? Yeah. I mean, there would for sure have been a war after the Second World War, if, in my view, between the remnants of capitalism and the pretense of communism. <laughs> there would have been a war in the 60s or 70s, and it probably would have come out of um, the, uh, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. It would have escalated into a land war with even more hellish weapons, uh, but, but because there was a deterrent weapon, right, that, uh, that both sides had, it became proxy wars, economic wars, and then the collapse of the Soviet Union. So I am a big fan of deterrence uh, because I'm, I think I would say, addicted to oxygen and my continued intake of it. So, um, so what you're doing to me is one of the areas in the military that has served the peace of the planet quite considerably. That's it. <laughs> Hey, I'm sorry if I just blew your mind. But I just, <laughs> yeah, you know, I grew up as a Cold War baby, and we were waiting for this shit to blow up left, right, and center twenty four seven. It never did, and I believe it's. And I've talked about this in the show before, but I thank you, <laughs> thank you, uh, and and all of the guys, uh, uh, men and women who've been working on this deterrent stuff. You know, I'm, rather the weapons weren't there, but they are, and because they are, we've not had a third world war, which would definitely have been the end of Western civilization completely. I don't know if it would have necessarily been the end completely, but it would have definitely been very bad. <laughs> well, it would have occurred in Eastern Europe, and it definitely would have spread. Uh, and it would have been 20 years of technological advances, even beyond the horrors of the Second World War weapons. And uh, I think it would have been, uh, I mean, we wouldn't have been back to grass huts. But uh, because because the Second World War was only sustainable at its current level because of the draining of the various empires, right? And um, without those empires to drain, I mean, it would have been even more brutal uh, in Europe. So, and and it would have also just been like, why on earth have kids when they're just going to be fed into the endless gears of war? Why the hell would we want to even get out of bed? We just had three giant wars in fifty years or sixty years. And um, forget it. Like it would have, it would have been the end of any vitality. I'm not saying that Europe would have become completely depopulated, but it would have been, which came close enough as it was. It would have been the end of any vitality or growth or enthusiasm or optimism uh, in in Europe. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. Um, but my my real problem with what I was doing in the military wasn't so much the uh, the deterrence or or that role it had more to do with the fact that i felt like i was stealing from people uh by doing my job because i feel like i mean i was the repair parts petty officer on my ship uh, i ordered parts for my boat for my job and it's just a ridiculous like the process and the expense and everything associated with it is just ridiculous uh and I, I couldn't do that job because every single time I had to buy something, I felt like I was stealing from the American taxpayer. And I mean, I, I was stealing from the American taxpayer because we're holding a gun to their head. <laughs> uh, and 
Okay, I know I, I get that. And I, you know, I, I certainly understand the mechanics of that. And for those who are sort of new to the conversation, uh, that's because the military is paid for through the initiation of force against domestic citizens through taking their money through force. But there's there's two kinds of government stuff. <laughs> Look at me getting all technical. Yeah. <laughs> government stuff, pile A, government pile stuff, other. Uh, one requires a blue form, the other requires a green and yellow and red form in triplicate. Now, push hard. Um, but there is the stuff that, that is currently provided by government that would still be provided in the free market, right? Uh, and then there's stuff. Then there's stuff that's provided by the government that would never be provided free market, right? Yeah. Now, I believe that at least for some period of time during the transition or shortly thereafter to a free society, that your job would exist. And I've talked about this before. You know, the role of deterrence uh, in um, uh, in uh, de- geographical defense in a free society. So your job would be. Um, funded voluntarily, uh, would it be more efficient? Yeah, it would be more efficient. Uh, I get all of that. But it's not in the same category as uh, something else, right? To me, there's a difference between going and invading Iraq, which if people had to pay for, they never would have, as opposed to a big deterrence mechanism that does keep the peace to some degree in the world, which I think people would pay for. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Uh, I think it's just, and, and it's a lot of things with my job and it's, it's a pretty terrible job just in general. Uh, I mean, I worked like 140 hours a week when I was in port and then I would go to sea for months at a time in which I would not see the sun for, you know, extended periods. And it, it's pretty much a sausage fest on, on the waves, right? It is. It is. There's no, there was no women on my submarine. Right. Well, it can't be because if a woman <laughs> yeah. gets pregnant, she, she can't hang on to the baby because you can't breathe that recycled air and have a baby, right? Yeah, well, they're trying to implement that right now, but I, I don't understand how it's going to work. It's uh, not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and for those who don't know, I'm sorry to be annoyingly technical, but for those who don't know, the way that the air is recycled on submarines allows for dudes to be fine, but a woman who's pregnant, uh, the air quality would not be enough to sustain a healthy baby at least it would be dangerous for the baby so you can't have anyway i know you get it right yeah so i, I get it i understand because I, I worked on one for a long time but <laughs> right uh yeah we definitely like uh one, one thing that i don't think people understand is that like our oxygen levels and stuff like that are we sparingly provide oxygen to the boat uh, we have methods of producing it, but we don't do it very often because uh, one method is noisy and the other method is uh, very perishable. <laughs> like we right. we'll run out of it quickly. So we uh, pretty much always operate with like sustenance level oxygen. And oh, you guys are Sherpas. I mean, you might you, you have to <laughs> climb Everest to be like, I don't know what the fuss is all about. It's better air up here. Yeah. Right. So. So yeah, not, not not a lot of ladies and um, not a lot of sunlight and you know, so on, right? Yeah, and and, um, and and it's something that that in a free society uh, I would pay for um, if if there was threat, military threat, because as I've talked about before, WMDs and deterrence is the, a very cheap way of ensuring security. So 
Um, just, you know, just because I don't want the government to do it doesn't mean I don't want like the government at all. Like, I think that there will still be roads in a free society, at least until we get our own personal teleporting jetpacks or something. And so if you said, I'm building roads, I wouldn't be like, that's evil. Because, <laughs> you know, in a free society, there'd be roads too. And, you know, I don't like the fact that the government's doing that doesn't mean the activity itself is necessarily the, the mechanism of funding it is immoral, but it's not like it would cease to exist as a function in a free society. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, uh, you add in just the people that you work with in my, in my field and, and closely with, especially very especially closely. You, right? <laughs> I mean, very closely, right? Yes. Uh, it's like, I, I, I yelled at several people, uh, in, uh, I, I sit in a room on the boat. Uh, it's a control room for the, the reactor, and uh, there's three there's three people uh, standing watch, and then one officer in that room all the time. And I was talking to them, and I I I yelled. I got so mad because I had three adults, three grown men, telling me how it's good to hit your kids. Ooh, and. Ooh. <laughs> Uh, how it, you know, uh, and which I, is I, like, on, and, and where you are, this is like getting into a, a wrestling match at a cockpit, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of up in each other's grills pretty significantly, right? Yeah, and and what actually sparked the the thing, and this and this is the other reason that I just I could not continue to do the job that I was doing, is that the reason that sparked this conversation is because I'm not very socially adept, uh, and one one of the operators that was sitting next to me asked me if my my parents spanked me as a child because they thought that I didn't get spanked enough was the con oh. well that was the con yeah right they didn't beat the social awkwardness out of you that's yes. the problem right yeah and in a way i mean in terms of getting along with people who were probably significantly beaten as children uh they didn't beat you enough to get along with those people so good for them right Yes. Uh, <laughs> and no, I mean, <laughs> that's uh, that's an interesting way to, to look at it. <laughs> a lack of compatibility with those around you is not a sign of deficiency in all in all situations, right? Uh, yeah. And I, I recognize that I, I like that's I have to get out of that situation. I, I, I have gotten out of that specific situation. I'm still in the Navy. Uh, I'm. I started going to therapy and they, they took me off the boat. Um, which, is that, is that a rule? Like if you go to therapy, they got to take you off the boat? Uh, no, not necessarily, but just in my particular case, they, they decided that that was the best option. I, I, you know, it sounds like a reasonable course of action. <laughs> yeah, not because there's something wrong with you, but because there's not that much, you know, compared to other people wrong with you in, in that situation. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. And I, like, I kept, I, I, as I started listening to your show, I started listening to your show about, uh, I want to say three years ago. I, I was still in school at the time. Uh, and as I started listening more and more, I just like, it's shocking the things I see every day. It's just, and the more I listen to philosophy, the more I get into it, I just can't function in the realm of being in the military anymore right and you have a, an exit strategy right yeah right right 
And I mean, you've received good education um, and uh, you've obviously had some pretty interesting experiences, not that you've got to treasure all of them. So, yeah, I mean, I uh, there are there are people, you know, like, I, you know, even when I said when I said uh, I, I like some of what you're doing in the military, I like what you're doing in the military. You know, I, I hear these like little pops of like the clatter of little libertarian heads exploding across the the world as people listen to <laughs> to me saying this stuff. You know, like, and um, I think that it is terribly cold. I think to look at people in the military and people who are in in uniform and just say, I don't know tool of the oppressive class you know like i don't know what you know what people what people say that like you guys are not human beings you are human beings right and i don't agree obviously with my lofty enlightenment i've had 20 years to study philosophy nana nana boo boo you guys haven't you know i can say well this is the wrong way to ideally do it in a free society and so on but you went in to this gig with honorable intentions right yeah definitely you want like i can't wait to become a foot soldier of the emperor right i mean give me stormtrooper i know that the emperor is really evil but give me that white tin can suit and i'm gonna shoot me some ewoks right i mean you will like protect the homeland it's an honorable profession everyone around you is saying it's a good thing to do it's a secure thing to do it's an honorable thing to do 20 years and you get your pension and you can double dip and like there was, I mean, was there anybody who was saying, dude, by the way, it's painful through the initiation of force, right? I mean, this wasn't even in your orbit, right? No, not not even. I, I, I had liberal classmates that were not very against joining the military, but for their own reasons, not, not because it's not the initiation of the use of force or anything like that, but I think they just thought it was beneath them in a way and <laughs> you're stealing money from our social programs dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is yeah and i still get in debates with them sometimes cuz yeah so i mean the the people who you were serving with were not like waking up every morning rubbing their wily coyote mustaches and and plotting what evil they could do in the world, right? I mean, they're doing a tough job uh, that they feel is a necessary job that everyone has told them is a necessary job uh, and uh, they do not... uh, I mean, I'm sure there's some cynicism about the military, you know, like, if it moves, move it. If it doesn't move, paint it. (laughs) Hurry up and wait. You know, there's lots of stuff that goes on in the military. Uh, that is cynical about it, but it's kind of cynical, like Joshy cynical, like uh, this is a bad way to do a good thing. Yeah, uh, I would say that there are there are some people that I worked with that were just mean, just cold hearted, ruthless people. Uh, a, for example, there's a torpedo man on my ship who who just really wants to sink a ship, like he he just wants to kill people. And like he talk, he talks about it all the time. He's like, I picked the wrong job. I wanted to go and shoot people, and you know, like. And do you think he was just being like, was this bravado, or was he like, he just really itching to turn some human being into red mist, right? I think that it's bravado stimulated by his own ignorance. Like right. I, I think that he doesn't comprehend, like the gravity of the situation. 
because right. like I think about it, we have you know torpedoes on our submarine. If we fire one of those, it could kill a thousand people, like instantly. And maybe he really likes sharks. Like he feels that they're hungry <laughs> and need yeah. some food. Yeah, it's you know, and I and I, I think about that, and I. And it's in my, you know, it gets in my head and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't have any control over what this massive weapon that I'm driving around in does. You know, I don't have any say in it. I'm just assisting with its operation. I'm just, you know, I'm a cog in the machine, if you will. And... But when was the last, I mean, this guy's also, you know, a little little military history wouldn't hurt. I mean, when when was the last time America sunk a, a, a big ship with a... I'm thinking, what, the Gulf of Tonkin? I mean, what? when the hell did they last use a torpedo? The Battle uh, of Jutland? I mean, this is like forever. I want, Yeah, I want to say it was probably World War II, the last time a U.S. Yeah, I, I don't think they even used them in uh, in uh, uh, Korea or, or Vietnam or, or anything like that. Not a lot of yeah. use for it in, in Operation Desert Storm. You know, these torpedoes yeah, are kind of slow in the sand. Perhaps we could just use a bomb. Yeah, um, yeah, and and... You know, I think that he got in uh, to the military and then sort of got an assigned, you know, as as they will put you where they need you, basically. Like, I don't or maybe necessarily... he's like, I really want to kill people. It's like, I think you'd be really good in your torpedoes because we don't really use those. So maybe yeah, that's maybe. what be. I don't know. Uh, yeah. What I do know is, like, I got to pick my job because I... I took a what's called the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, or the ASVAP. It's a multiple-choice test. Um, and I scored in the 92nd percentile. And so they were basically like, here's the brochure. Pick what you would like, you know. Oh, Andrew, I feel terrible because we, when it comes to military calls, we have a cutoff the 93rd percentile. Gosh, I really feel bad about having to end this call. I'm just kidding. Go on. <laughs> and, and so... Yeah, for me, it was I got to pick my job and I picked a job where I knew I wasn't going to have to be going out and shooting anybody. And I picked a job where I was going to be able to travel a lot and, you know, do what I wanted to do, get what I wanted out of it. And I know that a lot of people don't have that same opportunity. (laughs) Wait a minute. I got to just back up for a second. When you say travel a lot. (laughs) I mean, isn't it the same inside wherever you are? Uh, I found that out the hard way. <laughs> okay, because I mean, I'm going to say, I, I, and you I, know, I, this bulkhead I, looks totally different in the Atlantic than it did in the Pacific because the light is, oh, wait, no, wait, we don't see any sunlight. So. Yeah, and I, I, I've been around the Pacific. I've been to Liberty Ports uh, in various places around the Pacific, and I, I live in, uh, so it's definitely, I've seen a lot more than the Midwest of the United States now, which right, is pretty okay. much, yeah pretty much all i had seen before um so your question was originally is it possible to morally serve in the military and what should a person do if they've already enlisted yeah. um you know my goal of course is is at least in the current situation to, i think it's better to not enlist and and the reason not not because i think that being an armed defender of a geographical region is innately immoral it's not i'm not a pacifist and never have been never will be i fully believe in the right of self-defense these are, you know, big, complicated issues. So I'm just touching on them very briefly here. So um, I don't believe that um, it's 
immoral to to be an armed defender and i'm i'm glad that there are armed defenders in certain situations uh, and uh, but the problem is of course in in the modern military is uh, in in the government military is i think as you pointed out andrew you don't know where the hell you're going to be pointed and for what right so in in a private military force there would be you know massive constraints uh, there would be no empire no imperialism no let's go and have self indulgent military fests to avenge um, the wrong country for some terrorist attack and so on, right? So this this kind of stuff wouldn't happen. There wouldn't be any of this nation building that is a complete uh, cock up from beginning to end, uh, except for everyone who gets to make money from it and so on. So there wouldn't be all this wallpaper, the craters of bodies with money to make everyone rich uh, who's in the vicinity. So in the current military, while I believe that being a soldier can be an honorable, honorable and necessary occupation even in a free society you don't have any real power or constraint over where you get pointed uh, and I, I think that to me is is the real challenge uh, at the moment so i you know can you morally serve in the military i i think it's tough you know i, I, I you know this is one of these things if i'm saying yes i'm sort of scouring through my head about how how that works uh, the military is different from something like the IRS. You know, can you morally serve in the IRS? Ooh, that's really tough because there'd be no such thing in a free society, though there would still be military defense in a free society. Even if it's just against space aliens, if the whole world is peaceful or whatever, right? As asteroids could come with, you know, um, helmeted thugs. So I th I think it is it is very tough. There's things that you can do in the military that can help people. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, you guys deliver medicine and, and education and so on. You know, Rush Limbaugh's basic line, you know, military's there to break break things and to blow up things and kill people. Yeah, but there is also stuff that the military does that is more humanitarian uh, in nature. Uh, and there could be some positive stuff that comes out of that. The funding issue is the funding issue. There's no particular way around that um, other than to say that there are things that would be funded in a free society and therefore uh, it's not like you're doing the wrong occupation. It's just you're doing the wrong way of funding uh, what could be the right occupation uh, if a person is already enlisted if um if it's against one's conscience then and i think that the military has avenues for that at least according to military men and women that i've talked to before the military does have avenues around a crisis of conscience and what it is that you can do if you no longer agree with the ethics of your situation so those are things to explore uh, I did a whole um, interview, Mike, if you could look it up, I can't remember the name or number of the podcast, but I did an interview with a fellow who uh, is part of a support organization to help people who've had a crisis of conscience in the military explore their options of getting out without creating some dishonorable disaster or risking time in Leavenworth or whatever. So um, there are options within the military to pursue a crisis of conscience, a series of options. So... Um, I think that should be explored. I mean, I think it is very difficult if you no longer believe in the mission. Um, and, and I think the military recognizes that insofar as if somebody no longer, if somebody's had a moral crisis of conscience in the military, no longer believes in the mission of the military, I don't think the other soldiers want that person around particularly, right? Because a, a lot of the military situations involve don't hesitate, <laughs> like whatever, you, it's like a duel, you know, yeah. if you suddenly go, I wonder if dueling is really good, right? When it's like turn and fire, it's like, okay, welcome to the land of nevermore, right? Yes. And um, 
That, no, sorry. Karen, um, it wasn't Karen. It was someone else uh, who I talked to. It was an interview with a guy. Yikes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sending my, I'm off on my glue chase. I think it was four years ago or so. Uh, I did an interview with a guy who helps, who runs an organization to help people if they want to find a way out of the military uh, without it becoming a complete disaster. There are avenues. So I think I think that's worth exploring. I mean, yeah. you're a soldier. I mean, does that make any sense? I mean, I'll sit here yeah. in a comfortable Canadian house and whatever, right? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and I think that with, like, more com- combat roles, that that is definitely very true. Uh, in my particular case, I'm in a very technical job, uh, which is severely undermanned. Um, and so when I, you know, when I leave my job, it puts all the burden of all my work onto everyone else. And they're like, well, we don't really care if your opinion, if you don't like what you do, we just want you to do all this paperwork and all these, you know, maintenance items and such that we have to do. So (laughs) I'm sorry, just, just before we move on, the podcast number is 1543. And the, the podcast title is Courage to Resist, the Free Domain Radio interview with Jeff Patterson. And he's a bit of a switcheroo guy because it's one T, P-A-T-E-R-S-O-N. So Jeff, J-E-F-F Patterson. So people can do a search for that if they want. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think it's, it's, it's very difficult to make a good case for being uh, in the military, given the way that the, the military is run at the moment in the status system. You know, there are military... Like, there are militaries which don't have an imperial element to them. You know, as you know, America's got like 700 plus military bases all over the world and so on. There really is an imperialistic element. It's tough to say that it's all about defending Houston because um, you never know. They could be sneaking into the Pakistani or something rather. And um, I think that's tougher. I think there are other militaries where. And it's, it's sort of like the question of, of being a cop. You know, there are elements of a police uh, of police activity that would be replicated in a free society. I mean, and there are be, there will be people in a free society who are unwilling or unable to defend themselves, who will want to outsource that uh, job to to other people. Uh, you know, arresting a guy for having some marijuana, obviously in a free society, I don't think that would even remotely happen. But um, if there was... Uh, you know, if there's criminals about or, or you know, there are people who are raping and assaulting and thieving and so on, right, then, yeah, I can certainly see how there would be in a free market people who would take that on. Uh, would they need to be armed? Yeah, well, perhaps so. Um, but again, you don't know where you're going to get pointed when you're in um, when you're in uniform. Yeah. Right. I, and, uh, and I, I and think that so, okay. yeah, I think that that's probably like my single biggest issue is this the simple fact that I, I do not have control over something that is so incredibly deadly. Like, but I'm assisting in operating. Um, right. You know, it's like, what happen, Like, what happens if we end up going to war, but I decide that it's not the right war or whatever, you know, I'm still just going to be sitting in my little box in the back of the boat, you know. <laughs> Uh, and I'm not going to, I'm not even going to have the information to, to decide whether or not that the torpedo or the cruise missile that we launch is worth launching or not like that. And so, but I feel like I would still be more morally responsible if that were to hit the wrong person because I provided, you know, for that to happen, you know, right. 
Yeah, I mean, it would be on your conscience. And I, you know, I believe in good and evil. Uh, I believe that uh, humanity is not a big circle of kumbaya togetherness. And I believe that uh, there are times where lethal force needs to be used used in defense of the good. And so, yeah, I may be closer to your way of thinking or the military way of thinking than a lot of other people. Um, so I, I accept and believe all of that. And so if you're going to take a life or be involved in the taking of life, then you need to be really sure that it's in accordance with your moral values, because that is an unrecoverable line that you cross, right? And yeah. I think if you, if, you, if you take a life that is going to harm someone else, then you're probably uh, considered, you know, it's a regrettable but honorable thing to do. I mean, nobody, of course, wants to take life, but if that's the situation, then that's what you do. And I think that's the right thing to do um, to, to defend the good, right? You know, it's the old thing, there's some mass murderer in the mall, shoot him, you know, like shoot him. Uh, because, you know, I certainly know, I just, I tried to, if my family was in that mall and there was some shooter there, <laughs> fucking kill him and like kill him twice, kill him three times, shoot a chandelier to fall on his head, do whatever you got to do to, to, to stop him from killing people. You know, that, that crazy guy, um, who went on that Island, was it in Norway and went and shot up all those, those kids like triple digits. God, I mean, shoot that guy. I mean, so I think that the, the taking of life is 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 such a line to be crossed. You know, it is unrecover. You can't. I mean, it's not like unrecoverable. Like you'll always be unhappy because if you've done the right thing, you've done the right thing. But it is such a giant moral decision that we want it to be as restrained as humanly possible. And right now, um, I, I don't think it is in in the U.S. military or in many many of the militaries around the world. Yes, I agree. Uh, well, I guess you you pretty much answered my question. Then I mean, I don't really have anything else to to put for the conversation. But I definitely appreciate the the conversation. Now, can I just ask you one question? Yes, go ahead. What kind of dad do you think you're going to be? Uh, a lot better of a dad than mine was. Go as, on. I don't mean about your, like, you don't have to go on about your well, dad, but what are you going to do as a dad? Uh, I'm definitely not going to hit my kids like my dad did. Uh, I'm going to try to make sure that they're educated uh, to the maximum extent possible to make sure that they get they have all the opportunities that they can possibly have. Uh, definitely going to tell them about my time in the military and how it was... <laughs> A pretty big mistake uh, and discourage them from doing that I won't you know I won't force them to do anything but I think that if I with honesty like you were talking about uh, with your last caller being honest with your kids and they'll learn and they'll do the right thing on their own <laughs> so you know I think I'll be a pretty good dad and Andrew, if, if you tuned into this show and heard me screaming about how all soldiers are irredeemably evil, do you think you would have kept listening? No, probably not. I would hope not. I mean, <laughs> because, I would bloody well hope you'd have the pride to not yeah. be screamed at as being irredeemably evil and say, 
hey, <laughs> let's listen to what this reasonable person has to say, right? Yeah, especially since when I first started listening to your show, I was not as far into the libertarian mindset that I am as I am now, <laughs> you know. Right. Right. So. And and this is yeah, this this demonization. Look, I I get I have my temper, I think like everyone and uh, I can go too far sometimes in my condemnation and I'm I'm working on it with massive amounts of medication that unfortunately or fortunately has to be injected straight into my left testicle. So um well, it's a mixed bag, let's just say, <laughs> at least after the first injection. But this idea that just screaming about, you know, mustachioed evil uniformed agents of the state is irredeemably evil and so on that's certainly not how you see yourself that's certainly not what you were told <clears throat> at all and um if there's just that screaming that goes on uh, about about cops about prison guards about um soldiers and so on you're not going to listen and and you shouldn't listen to somebody who's just screaming that you're evil. I mean, I sure as hell wouldn't, right? <laughs> just not going to do it. I mean, I got too much self-respect and pride to just listen to that. <clears throat> but what by by engaging in conversations with cops and and soldiers and you know prison guards, when I was in the states once, I met up with two listeners who were prison guards. They both they were married. They were prison guards, and we had some incredible conversations. Uh, and, you know, if I just, oh, you're agents of the state, you're kidnappers and so on, and you, you know, what the hell? They're, they're, and they were going to be parents soon. And so we talked about parenting. And, you know, they did talk about how uneasy they felt in the situation and the system. They also did, like a lot of people who are in the state apparatus do, is they say, look, we have concerns about if we leave, who's going to replace us? You know, if it, you know, we treat the prisoners well. We keep fights to a minimum. Uh, we never abuse the prisoner. Like, what if some psycho sadist comes in after we leave? And that is not insignificant. <clears throat> These people had a relationship with with the prisoners uh, in, in the penal system, and the idea that they would just uh, uh, go and 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 wander off, and and who knows who's going to replace them. That's that's significant. Same thing with with public school teachers. Oh, you're agents of propaganda, Satan's armpits, sweat, and all. You know what are they going to? And they say, well, look, if I leave, then they're going to get some other teacher who's not even going to be able to give these kids any exposure to better ideas, and going to propagandize them like crazy, and. I care about these kids and like, it's not easy. It's easy to demonize people and to just draw this line down the middle of, of the human heart and say, well, we're all glowing angels of light on this side. And on the other side, they're just, you know, satanic knee scrubbers of devilry. But all that means is that you don't get a chance to influence people. You know, I'm glad that you called in. I, I'm glad that you listened to this show. I am really sorry. I'm really sorry that you live in a culture where a lot of what we talk about in this show, Andrew, is kept hidden from you. Not that this should be drilled into your head like some sort of automaton, but even the exposure of, of to, to these kinds of ideas, you know, it, it's, it's hard to get a hold of. And, you know, people, whenever I do stuff about cops, you know, like everyone and their dog, uh, you know, screams, pro-cop! And, uh, and it's like, mm, yeah, yeah. if you really, you know, libertarians have um, a tough relationship with, people in authority <laughs> let's just say not all but what's up am i am i you know i could yeah, be on the that... right side of that yeah and but the reality is that 
if you want there to not be cops, if you want there to not be soldiers, at least in their current incarnation, you really need to convince soldiers and cops and prison guards to be peaceful parents. That's why I asked you about what kind of father you think you're going to be. Because I, you know, I can virtually guarantee you, and, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but a lot of the people who were in the military, if not most, they had pretty rough childhoods, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. I I actually don't know a single person that didn't have childhood issues of some, you know, to some level or another. And like I said, like there was three people, you know, three grown men telling me how, you know, it's good to hit your child. You know, right. it's your problem was you weren't hit enough as a kid and therefore you don't fit yeah. in. It's kind of true. Yeah. Right. And so if you want there to not be cops, then you need to uh, engage with people who are cops or who can influence people who are cops or anyone for that matter. And you, you cut off the supply. You cut off the supply of traumatized people and you reduce the power of institutionalized oligarchical hierarchies. That's what you do. I mean, that's a, it's not going to fit on a bumper sticker, but that's okay, right? But you have to de-traumatize the world so you don't get this conveyor belt of broken people riding out into the world on their iron horses to smash things up. You know, broken people break people, hurt people hurt people. And the fewer people we have coming off the conveyor belt of modern parenting with traumas and rage and suppression and aggression and enlarged fight-or-flight amygdala responses and shrunken neofrontal cortexes for impulse control, the more broken people we have coming out of the machinery of parenting, the more broken the world is going to remain. And if you scream at people uh, or, you, you know, you just have full of rage at cops, you are actually reinflicting the kind of trauma on the cops that turned them into cops in the first place was an intense amount of aggression when they were children and probably what has made it possible for them to be cops in the first place. And if you are, you know, going on verbal tirades against all soldiers, you're actually reproducing the aggression that made them soldiers in the first place. It's a form of self-indulgent, emotional, masturbatory whack jobbery that is designed to make you feel good in the moment, but has nothing whatsoever to do with moving the conversation forward for peace in the world. It is your emotional self-indulgence. It has nothing to do with reversing the trend of child harm that is producing that which you're railing against. All you're doing is stepping into, all you're doing is you're stepping into the shoes of the abusers that produced these traumatized people who are willing to hurt others in the first place. You are simply recreating, reproducing their childhoods as an adult, and that is going to do nothing to make them better parents in the long run. It's going to harden their defenses. It's going to make them turn against you. And then they will never listen to the message about how to be a better parent. And they don't have to be a 100% better parent. Man, I'd settle for 10% some days. But they really are going to listen to you if you're open to the conversation. Now, I'm not putting people, in, and you understand I'm completely 180 from the conversation here. And this is nothing to do with you, Andrew, uh, just because pedophiles not in this category right i mean this is not like ah yes but you see if you're upset with pedophiles you're responding to the same ha, ha, ha. like i'm not i get that there's but this is not you know pedophiles don't go into it saying this is an honorable occupation with a good pension defending people that everybody agrees with is a great thing to do i mean that's not where pedophiles are coming from so this is nothing i don't i don't want this to get anywhere close to your conception of yourself or your history andrew but 
Yeah. I mean, people who are beating up uh, children, people who are raping children, people who are traumatizing children and so on. There are a few people, I would say, who have had no access to any better information uh, and are hitting their kids because they come from a tiny town. They've had no access or very limited access to other. But there's very, very few people have never had access to better methods of uh, parenting and never, you know, because there just aren't parenting books out there, at least outside of fundamentalist religious texts that advocate beating your kids or hitting your kids significantly. So there's a lot better information out there. There are a few people who have no idea that smoking is bad for you, but that's not very many people anymore. And so, um, you know, if you don't know how to read and you're in the Ozarks and you just find a pack of cigarettes every now and then you just smoke and okay, fine. You know, there's one in a million people who don't know that. So as far as child abuses go and pedophiles and rapists, I mean, I get that they've just gone full predator, but that is not the case, I think, with the majority of people. Uh, in uniform. Does, does this make sense to you at all? Again, I'm trying to yes, even drag yeah. any of this other stuff into your world. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, and I, like, I'll, I'll say this, there are, there are good people that I have worked with. Uh, there are mm-hmm. people that I've talked to, uh, about your show and I hope a few of them have started listening. Uh, and it's a, it's a small minority, but there's definitely, there's definitely still good people in the military. Like, yes, like you said, I, I don't get it. <laughs> and, then, and there are people in the military that if um, you, you want them at your house when there's a home invasion. Yeah. You know, like if, if I know people are coming over to, to beat me up, I'm inviting some of those guys over for dinner. You know, <laughs> I'm not inviting the pacifists over. Hey, man, there's no need to. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. Okay, so yeah, there are there are good people. We need to reach those people, and uh, you know, screaming at them about their bottomless pits of evil known as human hearts uh, is not. It's just not going to. A, it's not honorable and respectful of the the situation that they're coming from. I'm lucky. I'm I'm lucky that I happen to come across the information that I came across. I did not invent this stuff all by myself. Good heavens, I've maybe taken the conversation a couple of percentage points further in certain areas, maybe some more in other areas, but holy crap. I mean, the, the idea that I've just become this Zeus-like thunderbolt god who, uh, god who can stand up on this high mountain and hurl my thunderbolts of moral indignation at everyone whose clothing, uh, whose jacket matches their pants and who has a hat on, uh, it's just ridiculous. I'm lucky. I was lucky to get exposed to the information. I'm lucky that the uh, information was available. I'm lucky that there was an internet to do further research. I'm incredibly lucky that I have the internet to put this information out in this way. A lot of it is, yeah, there's some hard work involved, but a lot of it, particularly at the beginning, was just good luck. There are six million writers I've never read. Six million a mom would have made Ayn Rand, which started the whole damn thing. So the idea that I was lucky, and therefore I can use my luck as some sort of fundamental moral pride and use it as a lever by which to damn other people who simply haven't been exposed to the same information is um, absolutely uh, false. And it's the wrong way to use knowledge and wisdom. All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to chat about? Uh, no. Like I said, uh, that's you answered my question. Uh I appreciate I appreciate you spending the time. Um, I also like to say that I feel like I was pretty lucky that YouTube suggested your uh, your channel when I was, <laughs> you know, three years ago. 
It's so, funny, eh? It's funny how those little those little things. It's like, hey, I guess I just watched this guy's video. I'm sure it'll be whoa, <laughs> right? And suddenly it's like, holy shit! Fork in the road, spork in the road. Here we go, different direction. Ah! It's just funny yeah. how these little. Every now and then I get this weird chill, like if I hadn't got a job here and met this guy here who invited me to play volleyball with him here, I never would have met my wife. And it's just like, oh, it's horrifying to think of. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the same intensity of relationship, but it's just funny how these little things pop up and then it's like, okay, different life. Okay, guess we're going a different direction now. So thanks a lot for calling. Do keep in touch. You're welcome anytime. And um, (laughs) thank you for your service to philosophy. (laughs) Yep. Thank you. Take care. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Up next is Ruben. Ruben wrote in and said, Damn it. Now I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) He wrote in and said, Hello, Steph and Mike. I am a biracial and ethically, uh, excuse me. (laughs) Hello, Steph and Mike. I am a biracial and ethnically Hispanic. I recently got into several arguments with other people of color over Facebook during the aftermath of the Baltimore riots. In one of the discussions, revolution was mentioned, and people felt that the situation in Baltimore was the beginning of an uprising. Hmm. A person in the thread, and with a lot of support from everyone else, advocated killing whites, the rich, and anyone with whom would be an ally to them, including me, since I argued against the riots. Are we going to see a Bolshevik-like attempt in North America, where the racist and class-resentful left, unable to win the argument using evidence, use violence to get their way? Oh, well, without a doubt, that's what the leftists want, and that's not my conspiracy theory. That's exactly what the leftists and communists have been saying for almost 100 years. Uh, the, the, the idea was to use um, minorities within north america as uh, a, a foot soldiers in the attack upon the remnants of the free market that has been you know we've got the truth about the race war which people can can look at at uh, youtube slash free domain radio or fdrpodcast.com yeah that that's that's the plan right which is to to take people who are now and it's funny because you can't say minorities because uh, asians are a minority in north america but they do better than whites you can't say blacks because West African blacks have a higher per capita income than whites in North American society. So it becomes really difficult to, to narrow it down to any particular um, group. Every ethnicity you come up with has vast numbers of them who are very successful in, in North America. And it's not like every single white person <laughs> is successful in North America. So it becomes really hard. But basically, where there's a bunch of people who aren't doing well, racism, no matter what, right? And and that's just a very sad non-answer. But it doesn't have anything to do with helping disadvantaged people. It just having, has stuff to do with stoking resentments and using those people as foot soldiers against a system that you want to displace. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, can you hear me, Steph? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. I, ironically, actually, the guy that originally put the post up, um, he's from Venezuela, and he visited Venezuela recently. He went on vacation there, and he was talking about all the issues, the economic issues that are going on there, and all the the shortage of like basic supplies, basic consumer um, supplies like toilet paper. They don't even have that. Um, it, it runs out. It's it just the rations. Actually, you you put up a a podcast recently about this. Where you spoke about uh, Nazism and socialism, and it's ironic that he 
he uh, condemns socialism in Venezuela, but supports the left here in the United States and is even uh, he even works for um, like a union in California and uh, boasted about um, arm twisting, you know, in in uh, in some sort of government capital um, town there um, in, in a government building and like negotiating and doing whatever, you know, what unions do best, which is uh, corner labor prices for for their benefit. And, you know. And anyone else is trying to come up. It's, it, it's ironic, really. Anyone that, any, any unskilled worker that wants to, you know, uh, try to come up and compete in the labor market has to, you know, has to deal with the, the effects of unions. And he's, this guy advocates on one side for like, oh, raising minimum wage and, and, um, and fight the oppression, fight the system. But the, the things that he does and supports on the other side are what cause the disparities of, 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 of the, of the poor, of, of the unskilled workers, um, which a lot of them are, are, are blacks, are, are black males. And, and it, it, it just, these people don't want to have that conversation. They, uh, you, you speak to them about, um, the economics of it and try to get them over to the truth and it's immediately about well no rebellion revolution it's you know the riots and, and destroying some um like small businesses it's, it's justified because of the oppression and you know the you 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 capitalists are going to get yours so that sure. that's what i deal with uh on a daily basis on facebook <laughs> Well, just, would you like to stop dealing with that on a daily basis on Facebook? Because I can't see how that would be any fun. Uh, I mean, like, I, not not that I deal with it directly, as in, I, you know, I, I choose my battles wisely. But uh, wait, wait, no, hang on, hang on. How have those battles been going, Ruben? Um, <laughs> any luck turning people towards the light, my brother? I've got to try. I feel like I've I've got. No, 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 no! Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Because you're saying, well, these people, they're not responding to evidence. They're not listening to good arguments. They're not responding to reason, right? Right. Are you responding to evidence that they don't respond to reason? Here's the thing. Here's this thing, Steph, be before I answer your question. In high school, back in – I remember uh, – the socialist revolution in Venezuela happened like, I think it started in 1998. And in high school, back in the early 2000s, I was like, yeah, socialist, I'm, I'm a Chavista, I'm all for the um, Bolivian revolution, blah, 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 this and that. And I believed in it so much. I, 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 Che was my hero, Fidel Castro was my hero. And I believed in it so much. It's like, man, this is the truth. This is the way. So much so that I'm willing to challenge my own beliefs. And I know that the result will be that I'm right. And I go and do that for, you know, little by little, a few years go by. Um, I study economics in school. I, I read stuff on my own. And lo and behold, now I'm an, uh, I'm a, a volunteerist, uh, anarcho-capitalist. So, Excellent. yeah, so... Yeah, but no, hang on, hang on. So, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking <laughs> no, that, go ahead, go ahead. Finish, I can do that to somebody else. Okay, let's um, let's go back a little bit. So, <laughs> let me ask you something. So, when you were, you know, into Shea and and Castro and all these kinds of things, did you get laid for that stuff? <laughs> did I get laid? No, I, I no, 
<laughs> they didn't get laid. I mean, uh, I had a lot of were friends. There no, were there no women uh, around in these environments? Not, I went to a very small high school, not, and no one, no one cared. <laughs> no one cared what I was talking about in that particular. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because it's been my experience that um, uh, uh, chicks put out for socialism. Oh, that it, it's sexy, right? To be like. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, chick, chicks dig the rebels and, and uh, communist chicks are very easy. I don't know if they're just socializing their means of production or whatever. But uh, um, whereas, you know, conservative women, uh, conservative chicks, if you want to put it that way, uh, they don't put out very easily, right? No, they don't, unfortunately. I mean. No, no, fortunately. <laughs> R versus K reproductive strategy. Uh, and. and Chicks, no, chicks put out for socialism because they need the government to clean up their mistakes. They need the government to pay them. You know, like, I'm a single mom. I'm doing it all alone. No, you're not. No. You're not even close. You got Section 8 housing. You've got welfare. You've got Obamacare. You've got government schools. You've got pre-K. You, you are not even close to doing it alone. And so um, women put out for socialism. I mean, try being a capitalist an open and outward capitalist in university and, uh, you know, see how many dates you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. I, I definitely have an experience with that. Um, like, like we all think we have these beliefs. All we're trying to do is get women. <laughs> and look at, I mean, I'm, this is somewhat tongue in cheek, but it's also somewhat not tongue in cheek. Right. Um, which is that what do women go for? And they go for socialism. Definitely. I mean, there are not a lot of capitalist feminists out there, right? But there are a lot of Marxist lefty socialist feminists, right? And so men are like, which magic words open the leg? Let me try capitalism. Clamp! <laughs> Socialism. <laughs> Open sesame. I use the magic word socialism, and here comes the peace lot. So uh, that is just something to uh, to remember that um, uh, it's uh, it's just not easy to get laid in the free market if you're a free marketer. Do you think it could also be that these sort of women are also attracted to the? Um, commitment to violence that a lot of leftists have you know when no 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 because women do not like a violent society they like getting resources and i'm talking way down deep in the biological reproductive <laughs> base of the brain uh, stuff they don't want a violent society well i mean if they really dig in the our reproductive strategy then they probably get turned on by violence but in general, women want resources, and the government is a more stable method of getting resources than a husband, right? You don't have to cook the government dinner. You don't have to do the government's laundry. You don't have to put on makeup for the government. You don't have to go to the gym for the government. You don't have to be a nice person at all for the government. And the government will send you that check every single month, no matter what happens. 
And there's simply no way for the majority of women to resist free stuff, as I've talked about before, because free stuff is what women are designed to get. And that's what the reproductive imperative is. Find a, find, get me free stuff because I'm going to be disabled by having kids, by being pregnant, by breastfeeding, by childcare, by being up three times a night with spit up and changing diapers and crap like that. So free stuff is catnip. It's ambrosia. It's heroin. It's a complete drug for women. And it's almost impossible for the majority of women to resist free stuff. Uh, in the same way that it's almost impossible for the majority of men to resist free sex. I mean, this is not a good or bad thing. It's just a, a reality of way the way that the reproductive imperative works. So women don't want a Mad Max world. What they want is a world of guaranteed resources. And socialists and leftists and Marxists give those guaranteed resources. They guarantee those resources for women. Yeah, you'll have access to abortion if you choose the wrong guy and sleeping around turns out badly for you. Yeah, if you have a baby, we'll give you money, we'll give you time off, we'll give you free schooling, we'll give you food stamps, we'll whatever, you know. Yeah, you get all this. And there's just, because, you know, the risk of a woman choosing wrong in the having reproduction happen arena, these risks are catastrophic. And uh, the insurance is called the state, and then the state changes everyone's behavior because what becomes insurance, so what starts out as insurance in case something goes wrong, turns into subsidizing everything going wrong, right? That's just natural. So, um, yeah, women will, you know, they're turned on by socialism because socialism is porn for women, you know, because it is a sexually stimulating. <laughs> it is. It, you, people, you laugh, but it's fundamentally absolutely true. Socialism is porn for women. It's just that porn for men, which involves guns going to people's heads deep down, is snuff porn, which is morally hideous and reprehensible. But the fact that socialism is porn for women and it's basically a snuff film in disguise because there's still guns to people's head to pay these women, they don't want to see that. They just want the resources. Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think you found the title of this podcast. Socialism is porn for women. <laughs> not all women. There was Ayn Rand. But she's not kid. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I have, a, I have my own um, firsthand experience with this sort of thing, with this this class of women. Um, when, when I started college, I, w I was in a course with a 30-year-old um, a woman. She was coming back to the college. And she's like, you know, hardcore feminist and socialist and rah rah Cuba. By then, I was like libertarian at the at the time, so I wasn't really hearing any of it. But I was uh, I was really good shape, um, in really good shape, guy, tall, and um, so I, you know, I call her I call her fancy, and she she threw some uh, she threw some signals my way. Well, well, more than that, she made it explicit that she wanted, you know, she wanted some action, and. You want a little Reuben sandwich? Sorry, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, you have to say. Okay, I'm done. I, I'll never make that joke again, and I'm sorry I did already. But go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> and um, I was not about it. Um, I would. I she 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 was a single mother, and and this would be even before I I was listening to me to you. I I just did not want to deal with that. It's something. No way. And, um, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, this lady has a lot of tattoos, um, single mother, just the stereotype feminist. That is not the luckiest child in the known universe. I just really wanted to. <laughs> no, no, he isn't. And, um, 
Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. But um, I I just feel no, like let me give you let me give you a piece of pop culture right. that um that uh, backs up my point. It's not a proof, just a backup. There's a very funny British show called Coupling that came out I don't know like 15 years ago or something like that. I think that there was a remake for American television. If you, you can watch it, it, it's hilarious. It's really really good. And uh, in it, there's one. Uh, uh, there's one guy who is a conservative. Uh, I, 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 are you, uh, sorry, are you American? I can't remember where you were, came from originally. Uh, I was born here in America. Yeah, United States, yeah. Okay, but, so uh, conservative, my, my because I wasn't sure if you came from some other country, whether conservative would be the same thing. But he was a Republican, he was a conservative, and, and of course he was portrayed as an idiot. Right. Uh, you know, because he's, cause he's conservative, and you wouldn't want to actually engage in a, in a realm of ideas. So you just have to make him an idiot. But apparently he had a giant cock. <laughs> and the women were like, I don't want to sleep with him because he's a Republican. But he does have a giant cock. So oh, man. I'm, I'm torn. Actually, that probably is not the right phrase, although maybe it is. But <laughs> it's like, I'm really, I really want to have sex with him because he's got a giant cock. But he's a conservative, too. Oh, what should I do? What should I do? And so this just shows you, I mean, if he was a, you know, a liberal, they'd be all over him, right? But it's like, how big a dick do you have to be? How big a cock do you have to have to overcome being a right winger? That's how negative it is for women, because right wingers are putting female responsibility back to women. <laughs> no, you don't get to backstop your shitty mating decisions with guns to everyone's head and fiat currency and the death of the environment and the death of the economy, the unemployment of millions. No, you got to, your body, your choice, not your body government gun, your body, your choice. Yes, you own your hoochie hooch and you own your eggs. And if you get pregnant with the wrong guy, you got to live with it because you're a big person now. You get adult pennies and you get adult responsibilities. If I screw up at work and I get fired, I have to live with that. I don't get to show up with a gun and get my job back. <laughs> and if you have sex with the wrong guy and you have a baby or you get pregnant, that sucks. That's really, you know, back for you, it sucked it. But anyway. And so uh, Republicans uh, on the right, they kind of want to give responsibility back to women. And how keen are women on that level of responsibility? Well, not that keen. <laughs> Not that keen. And so feminists are like, okay, it's true that, what, 750,000 fetuses a month get, female fetuses a month get killed in America through abortion. It's a, it's a genocide against female fetuses, but somehow it's pro-woman. Anyway, so um, I just wanted to point that out about the degree to which women will encourage particular political perspectives through uh, a pussy access, right? I'm going to pussy you into socialism. I'm going to sex you into socialism. I'm going to lick you into the left. Can't compete with that, then. There's no way. Well, I don't know how any intellectual philosophy can, <laughs> you know? I have reason and argument on my side, but over there is a giant herd of socialist pussies. <laughs> Everyone goes over to the socialist pussies and rides them into the giant crater known as the former smoking asteroid of Western civilization. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a, a Joe Rogan stand-up. 
he made it back in 2006 where he's describing getting on a, one of these jets with the air force, one of these like sick jets that goes like, like uh, three Mach or something, whatever, super crazy speed. And he's like, man, when he got off, he's like, man, how can anything go that fast? It's ridiculous. Like that's so intense, so intense. And then he goes, but nothing, you know, nothing goes, it doesn't even come close to pussy, you know, like pussy (laughs) way better than any of that. And he's like, Dick has nowhere near that pull, that kind of pull. Yep. No, no. Listen, I mean, uh, there's no gravity. Well, uh, black holes included like, uh, vagina preferences. Uh, I mean, most men, uh, they can't even like, there's no crimpons to get down that ice wall that leads to (laughs) vagina. Um, uh, vagina preferences. What, whatever women prefer, men will say in order to eggs, right? I mean, there's a biological imperative. You, you can't really fight it. And this is why, again, you know, if you want to know where the world is heading, just look at what women put out for. And that's the destiny of the world, which is why we talk about female and male responsibilities and issues on this show, because uh, I don't expect that uh, I'm mere intellectual arguments are going to win against biological imperatives. It's just not going to, maybe if I turn gen- into a giant pussy, uh, <laughs> then I'll somehow win the war of ideas. But other than that, we'll see. Okay, so let's get back to the Kill Whitey stuff because that <laughs> had my attention. <laughs> yeah, um, the, in this conversation, in, the, in that uh, conversation thread, this one lady tells me, well, you know, the revolution is coming. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it verbatim. But it's like, the revolution is coming. And, um, you know, we're going to have to take you out as well. Um, and she says it so, like, in, in such a coy manner. And then she commented, like, boop. Like, you know, because eh, you're, you're for, you know, you're, you're against what we're about. And so you need to be taken out because it, it's that sort of, like binary where if you're not with me you're against me and i i was a little shocked by it i was like somebody had the um the audacity to just say hey you know you should totally be gunned down in the revolution because i i don't like what's coming out of your mouth yeah and uh, everyone thinks they're kidding until they're not kidding right <laughs> yeah well, well baltimore is a sign that that some of these people really want this to happen. I mean, they're, they're, you know, the guy that originally commented on the union advocate worker guy, he, he was, he, he put a hashtag in solidarity with Baltimore, like rioters. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like I did a video on, on Freddie Gray about his childhood and so on. And, you know, if some people were like, well, I had it tough when I was a kid. It's like, yes, but you didn't have debilitating brain destroying lead poisoning. Yeah. Sorry. That is, that is physical stuff. You know, if you get a brain tumor that eats away half your brain, willpower is not going to do you a lot of good. But anyway, that's a, uh, but, but the one thing that is the case, um, is that, and again, I'm not a big fan of the war on drugs. I'm speaking some for a mainstream perspective. This guy was a drug dealer. He'd assaulted people. You know, he'd been arrested like 20 times. And it, no, I mean, some of it was some pretty serious and dangerous stuff. And I just, I'm trying to think of the last time whites rioted or Asians rioted when a white or Asian criminal, career criminal, um, got killed. Like Jeffrey Dahmer got killed in, in prison, I, you know, under the protection of the state supposed to, I mean, was, was, were whites rioting because he got killed 
in prison. I think whites were like, yay. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> Paul Bernardo was this crazy, I think, Canuck, who was just a complete human monster. And uh, he got killed in, in prison and, and, and just, you know, I was at Baltimore last weekend, nine people shot, two killed, uh, nine black shot, two killed. I just, you know, can, can you, can you get back to cheering for Martin Luther King and maybe step back a little bit from cheering to the assaulting heroin dealers? I just, can you not find some slightly better people to get opinion your cause on? Right. Yeah. You know, I, there was, wasn't there some crazy Asian guy who was killing some guy on a Greyhound bus or whatever? And I didn't notice the Asian I mean, if that guy had been killed in police custody, I don't think the Asian community would have gone rioting and burning and look it's it's tough because i mean there is this great mystery and it i you know the, the number of people who've opined upon the mystery and and is is nearly infinite but there is this great mystery why are some people doing really well in north america or in europe and some people are doing really badly it's not as simple as race it is not as simple as race as we talked about before if whites are just racist then why are asians doing so well I mean, surely we should just hate everyone who's not white. Well, why do we love Asians so much that we give them a higher per capita income? And and why are blacks from other cultures doing really well in right. America? Yeah, like right? And and why why were blacks doing better, much better? I mean, in terms of improvements, why were they doing better in the 1950s? Why was the black family so much more solid? Why was there no violence in the ghettos? Why were blacks improving so significantly in the post-war period? And why did that come to a crashing end in the mid-1960s? Civil Rights Act, was it, uh, was it I, I don't know, right? I'm not any kind of a brain-spanning expert on this stuff. Was it, uh, wealth, was it the welfare state? Is the welfare state the new plantation? Was it the fact that uh, the, the Marxist infection uh, took hold of the, uh, a lot of uh, the elements of the black community? You know, if you hate the society that you live in, guess what? You're probably not going to do that well in that society. Am I going to become president of a frat if I just hate the frat? No, you're not. And so there is this, there are these, and, and every human being with a, a shred of empathy cares about these communities that are doing really badly, really badly. But I, I find this answer of white racism. White racism, slavery. White supremacy. It doesn't. You know, white supremacy, white racism, slavery, white privilege. Ah! Wait, there's a common theme in there. What is it? Something to do with color. Anyway. <laughs> but this, this, everybody wants to rush to this answer, and we have to deal with the discomfort of saying, we don't know exactly what the answer is. But and, and anyone who tells you it's slavery plus white racism is not correct. It's, sim it's simply not correct. I'm not saying it's completely irrelevant. Is there white racism? Yeah, there is a, was slavery a negative thing? Yes, it was a negative thing. Absolutely. Horrifying thing. But anyone who tells you that the reason that Baltimore is doing badly or the reason that Detroit is doing badly, in the, particularly in the black communities, if they say it's white racism and slavery... They are selling you a line, and they're on the left, most likely, or they're Marxist-influenced, and 
it's really, uh, I think it's really exploitive. It is incredibly exploitive of a community to say the barriers that you face to live a decent life are insurmountable to you. You can, it's institutional. It is systemic. It is um, structural. Yeah, there are all these esoteric right? terms, these like strange, abstract ways of explaining it. You know, explaining. Yeah, you know, and it's like, but it, basically, the message is impossible. Right. Right. Impossible. Nobody says, "Well, so and so did it, so why?" Can, like, let's figure out how you can do it. Like, but you're responsible for your life, for what's going to happen, and so on. Right? They're saying to these people, "It's impossible." Thus, more state funding, and Baltimore, since the '60s, has been run by Democrats, and they're run by the left, and and their their police chief is black, their mayor is black, uh, nine out of fifteen of their city council members are black. So when they say white supremacy, and then you will cure your leaders. They're not well, and this is this is. I mean, this is. I mean, I, I can't obviously speak for white people, and I can't speak for anyone but myself. But my sense is, Ruben, that there is a running out of patience with this narrative in society because of these very facts. I think there is a weariness with this narrative and a fundamental growing disbelief in this narrative for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, there is this perspective that so much money has been poured into uh, these communities. Baltimore got $1.5 billion in stimulus packages since the late 2000s, right? So over the past half decade or so, $1.5 billion has been poured into Baltimore alone just from the stimulus packages uh, out of Obama. And apparently, this is the result. And it's what Ben Shapiro said about the fact that three of the six officers who've been charged with the death of Freddie Gray are black. It's like, hey, white racism is getting a lot more diverse now, isn't it? Right. <laughs> and this is, you know, things think that there's a pendulum in human society. Right. I mean, everyone thinks that things just tip topple over and they fall over and occasionally they do. But most times, particularly with modern communication, there's just a kind of pendulum. And I think that we're kind of at the end of this pendulum of white guilt being this infinitely mineable resource that, oh, you're upset and things aren't going well. Here's more money scooped out of the futures of our children for you to spend on things that never seem to get better. Like the, 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 the welfare state is, is not something that people advocate now as some sort of big positive good. I think there's basically just this feeling that, well, dear God, if, if we cut the welfare state, There'll be riots, right? I mean, it's not like that. That's that's not a very ringing endorsement of of the welfare state. I don't think that people believe in that stuff anymore. Fundamentally, um, and I mean, there's lots of propaganda about it. But I think that the idea, like President Obama said, well, we need to invest more in our local communities. It's like, God Almighty, how much fucking money is this going to take? I mean, are you kidding me? How much money is this going to take? And I feel so much anger. I feel so much anger towards all of the people who use these people trapped to a large degree in these communities. And I'm sorry to say it. I know all this is free will and so on. But right now, people respond to incentives. And there is a huge amount of destruction in these communities, largely driven by 
bad government programs and racism against these communities. It's not racism against all blacks because lots of blacks do well, but in these particular communities saying you fail because you're black uh, or you fail and, and, and you fail because whites are racist. You know, I'm, I'm really fucking tired of this trash talking of white people at all times. I mean, this is just it's pathetic. And I think people are not fundamentally believing it anymore. We have to look somewhere else than white racism, slavery, and not enough government spending because trillions of dollars have been poured down this gullet uh, of, of these communities and it's not doing any good. And I feel so much anger towards people who won't even give these black parents in these ghetto communities or whether they're whites or blacks, doesn't really matter, won't even give them something as simple as a fucking school voucher. Jesus, dear God, can we at least, can we at least give these parents the choice about where they sent their children to? Well, no, because we need the unions of the public sector teachers to give us money so we can get elected. It's like, okay, then don't tell me you care about these communities. If you're not willing to grant these parents the right to send their children to a school of their own choosing to the point where they have got to sit like beggars hoping that some charter school in this waiting for Superman god-awful horror, that some charter school is going to pick their name out of a fucking lottery. I mean, does the people not get how insane that has become? The people are so desperate. 40% of the, the, the school teachers in these cities don't even send their own kids to, to government schools. And that's on a government teacher salary. So but we've got to, got to beg to get their children out of these fucking gulags and send them to a decent and reasonable school of their own choosing. Anybody who's not promoting school choice, anybody who's not willing to sell these, these apartments to the people who live in them, for God's sakes, give them the apartments, give them the communities, let them own these things. Anything that is not owned is crap. Anything that is not owned is turned to crap. And everybody knows this. You go down all these streets, you see all these nice gardens, and the one garden is the house that's boarded up, and that garden looks like crap. And there's concrete blocks uh, in it, and there's old tires in it, and there's garbage that nobody picks up. Everything that is unearned turned to crap. And if you want to help the ghetto, give the ghetto to the people who live there. Just give it to them. They can buy it, they can sell it, they can do whatever the hell they want with it. Just give them this stuff. Give them choice. Give them choice. Give them ownership. Let them own the damn streets in the ghetto. Let them own the parks. Let them own everything. Turn it over to the people. Let them have it. Let them keep it. Let them buy it. Let them sell it. Let them do whatever the hell they want. And for God's sakes, get the government out of these, uh, these houses and get the rent controls, get the subsidies, get all of this crap out. And give them the responsibility and maturity and freedom of treating them like adults. Because if nobody's willing to treat them like adults, then don't be expected if they continue. Don't be surprised if they continue to act like children. And the, and the number of people who just want to give them things in a paternalistic way and manage them and control them and provide this incentive and give them that money and so on, it's called enabling people. You somebody who's ridden, riddled with debt, you give them more money, you're just going to create more problems for them. Give them the responsibility and the maturity of treating them like adults. Are they going to get upset with that? Yeah, they might get upset with that. Probably a lot of people will breathe a huge sigh of relief and some people will really hate it. So what? If you don't lend money to the guy who's horribly in debt, he's going to get pissed. If you don't give a drink to the drunk, he's going to get pissed. If you don't give drugs to the addict, he's going to get pissed. So what? We do it all the time. When I didn't study for a math test, 
I got a 55. Because <laughs> that was the reality of it. So I just, sorry for this rant. I just, it just really, it just pisses me off so much that people say these people can't succeed. There's all this institutional racism, people treating them badly. Now we need to manage where your children go to school and we need to control your apartment, which we won't going to give to you, even though you've lived there for 20 years and we're going to control your neighborhood and we're going to, well, of course, if you keep doing all this shit for people, then they're going to continue to live in this entitled and, and immature existence. Just turn the, 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 uh, the ownership over to the people and give them all the choices you can and then step back and, dear God, uh, just let them be adults. And if they rail against it, so what? They still have to be adults because the option of continuing the status quo has got to stop. I agree a thousand percent with all of that, especially with um, the comment about public housing or subsidized housing. Just let them own it. And, and, and I noticed that I, I live in New York City and I, there's a ton of like public housing buildings around and uh, they're always like in some sort of like disarray. Uh, if, if I'm pretty sure if you give these people like some sort of like a, a co-op um, deal where, where each, you know, tenant owns like a piece of the building like a, a share of it, they would be invested to take care of it and pass it on to their children and, and their children and, 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 you know, raise their wealth and, and give them, give them pride in where they live. And Hey, Hey, don't, don't destroy that, you know, uh, that Walgreens because I, uh, you know, I need stuff from there. I need, I need to buy some things to like spruce up my place, you know, just, just little, you know, just even that small project would solve a lot of problems. But I feel like leftists just they just want to be there in control and oh no they uh, can't they can't give the ghettos to the people they can't give the housing to the people because then what do they have to sell them in the next election exactly what what favors do they have to grant them in the next election you turn people free they need they don't they don't need to to sell their votes to you for free shit you give them ownership you can't dole out rental agreements in, in dribs and drabs to keep your political power going. Oh, no, no, they, they, they want to keep these people enthralled to the state. It's, it's the guarantee of uh, future power for the leftists. And this is all very clear. And the, the, the voting patterns in the ghetto are very clear. Uh, I mean, it's all Democrat all the time. And so the Democrats would fight tooth and nail. I mean, to, to give these people autonomy, to give them freedom, to give them ownership, uh, to give them full rights uh, as adults to, to run their own lives in their own communities as they see fit to buy, sell, come, go, move, stay. Oh, God, no, the, the Democrats will never do that because then they'd actually have to try and engage in the war of ideas rather than drugging people with stolen goods. Right. Yeah. And, and Steph, um, ultimately, my question is what what can I do or any of us do to at least slow it down or or stop it this uh this this sort of narrative that uh gives us an economy that is 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 it's incredibly dysfunctional like what of my what of my children my future i don't have children but my you know potential children what what kind of what kind of world are they they're going to live in if if every city if every community you know it wants to wants to just implode under 
like Marxist uh, cultural Marxism and and failed um, economic planning. Well, you, listen, you gotta you gotta stay away from the crazies. The crazies will give you a distorted view of reality. Right. So if you're getting engaged with with Marxists and radical leftists uh, in Facebook, they're going to give you like if you keep doing that, you're going to get a view of the world that is very distorted. And so that is sort of my first, you know, really, you, you have to take very strict care of the company that you keep. So you really need to be careful, you know, be, be as cautious and selective and discriminating of the people you allow into your mind as you would with the food you allow into your body, right? You wouldn't just say, hey, it's a dead squirrel by the road, get a fork. Because that would be like, I don't know how long it's been there. I don't know how many flies have laid their eggs in it. And I don't really want to become a giant queen beehive nest for bottle flies. So you need to be very careful about what you allow entrance into your mind. Because... Everything, everyone that you let, give access to your mind will take up residence there and will reproduce and will infest your perspective and so on. So, you know, arguing on Facebook with people who are philosophically mental, I mean, there's this, I mean, there's this sort of, oh, white countries are so bad. It's like, why the hell is anyone, does everyone want to come then? I mean, <laughs> that's just, that's crazy. I mean, why is everyone literally risking life and limb to get into white countries if white countries are so terrible and white people are so terrible? You, I mean, wouldn't that be like Jews trying to break into Auschwitz or Treblinka? I mean, that wouldn't make any sense. I mean, shouldn't they be heading the other way? I mean, like, so, I mean, people who are that disconnected from reality and people who are full of that much hatred that they're talking about killing white people, I mean, those people can't be reasoned with. I mean, they're really disturbed people and and bad people, to use the technical term. So you have to figure out what it is in you that is driving you to engage with people in, in this kind of way and at this kind of level. You know, we learn from politicians. Politicians... You know, Hillary Clinton is not going to give a speech at the at the Republican convention hoping to get Republicans to vote for her. You know, politicians, they, they figure out, okay, these people are going to vote for me no matter what. And, and this is why Democrats are the last people to respond to black concerns, because they feel that the black vote is in their pocket anyway, so they're not going to do anything to really address issues within the black community. All they're going to do is ginny up a bunch of uh, um, race riots and race conflicts, uh, race baiting, uh, so that... Uh, Republicans come up with stuff that they consider oppositional and they, you know, all they're doing is guaranteeing their vote. The best way to get Democrats to respond to black people would be for black people to stop voting Democrat, right? And then they would start to, right, respond, but they're not because they don't need to, right? And, um, you know, you know, you don't bring flowers to the sure thing booty call, right? <laughs> you don't need to. So um, the politicians divide people into three categories will never vote for me, will for sure vote for me, might vote for me. And they focus their energies on the might vote for me, right? There's no point pouring their energies in people who are already going to vote for them, no point pouring their energies in people who will never vote for them. They pour their energies into people who might vote for them. Now, these people are never going to focus and follow a free society. This is all childhood trauma. This is nothing to do with reasoned position. This is all to do with very disturbed 
and very, very traumatized uh, childhoods. Anybody who can say, I want to kill white people, uh, is so disturbed that the idea of reaching them with reason, with evidence, is impossible. I mean, you're not going to do it. I mean, if you want to try reaching past the psychotic, violent aggression and try and find a way to touch the hurts and, and help them with the hurts and so on, you can give it a shot, but I, I wouldn't. I mean, that even, even, even if they really wanted help from a mental health professional, the odds of them overcoming all of that uh, and developing empathy, and I mean, they're so tiny that even if they wanted to and there was a dedicated professional who was trained and focused on, on helping that person, um, the odds of them getting better I, I would imagine, are, are very low. As far as I understand, there's no cure for that kind of lack of empathy. So you are not a trained mental health professional, and these people are not even asking for help. So even if they wanted help and you were trained, the odds of helping them would be tiny. The odds of you helping them or me helping them, zero. Not a little bit, not a tiny bit, not one to zero. Absolutely zero. And I'm saying this to you, because I think it's true and because you need to focus your energies on the people who have minds to change, right? People who agree with reason and evidence, yeah, have great chats with them and so on. People who are virulently opposed to reason and evidence, avoid them like the plague. The people who have minds to change, they're capable of thinking, they're capable of listening to reason, they ask intelligent questions, doesn't matter if they disagree with you for months, as long as they're asking intelligent questions and willing to accept particular arguments. Uh, but, um, and you've heard this when I talk to people on this show, we, you know, there's always this weird thing, like you establish, like reasoning is a series of steps, right? You, a, if A, then B, if B, then C, you know, and you establish something, you get to the next step, and then they act as if the first thing was never established. Well, these are people you can't have continual uh, conversations with because you can't ever, you're trying to build a house, you put one brick on top of the other, they knock the bottom brick out. And you, guess what? You can't build a house with that person because that's all they're going to do. So look for people who've got curiosity, who've got originality, uh, who are uh, open to new evidence, who are willing to uh, explore uh, possibilities and so on, and who are not offended by original thought or, or at least thought that is original to them. Those are the people that you want to focus on. My concern, Ruben, is that you are going to spend your time energy on these people who aren't going to change. You're going to beat yourself up and bruise yourself. And, and become like, it's going to become like a torture to have conversations with these people. It bothers me that that's impacting you emotionally, as I'm sure it is. It also bothers me, all of the people that you could have brought reason and evidence and philosophy to that you haven't because you're beating a head against these uh, wall of empathyless creeps. Does that make any sense? You can unmute now. Sorry for that. Uh, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And and you're right. It did affect me emotionally when I when I read that uh, that little comment. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, it's 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 a murderousness. It's uh, a murderousness. It's horrendous. But of course, anti-white racism is given almost infinite play because it's considered to become from wounded injustice and so on. So, anti-white racism is considered a form of self-defense. Whereas any expression of white supremacy, as of white uh, uh, of white preference or white nationalism or standing with other whites, is just immediately it's white supremacy and evil and so on, right? So even if it's not against any other race, and this is, but you just gotta not be around people like that. Uh, you know, it's like triage in 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 a wartime 
mash unit or something, right? But this person is going to be okay for an hour. This person is going to die in the next four minutes. This person, if I work on them, has a chance to live. And then I'll get to the guy. So it's just triage, right? And and these people are not going to be available and open to reason and evidence. Uh, they are some seriously damaged and disturbed people. And uh, I think it's can actually be dangerous. Uh, so my sense is uh, steer clear of those people and really try to to work with people. Uh, you know, you're shooting out flares. Just put out a little bit of counter information. And if you get swarmed with hysteria, hysteria and hostility or, you know, whatever, then it's like, okay, well, then I guess I'll keep moving until I find people who have a, a mind to be changed. Um, but uh, it's not in Facebook arguing with trolls. Uh, it's going to wear you out and uh, it's not going to change anyone's mind. And they are doing that in order to, right, they're drawing you off. They're drawing you off, Ruben, to keep you away from the people whose mind. They're, they're perfect, like you're per perfectly playing into their hands, right? They're setting this elaborate trap, which trolls do. And what trolls do is they set these elaborate traps. You go in, you engage with them, and they're like, well, great. He's now not out making the world a better place. He's coming and playing these stupid games with us, uh, which we're never going to change and we don't even care. We just want to paralyze the good, paralyze the good. And the best way to paralyze the good is to get it to engage with people whose minds will never change, which keeps good and curiosity, reason and evidence away from people who have minds to change. You're joining them in their cause is what I'm saying. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right. Anything else you wanted to, to mention? Uh, no. no. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure, and thank you so much for the work that you do. And um, give us a call back in sometime as well, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, I don't mean to say you Hispanic, therefore speak for Hispanic community, but I am kind of curious. Uh, I am kind of curious. Uh, I've noticed some really positive stuff in the Hispanic community around sort of freedom philosophy lately. And if you want to call back in sometime and chat about that, I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, def I definitely will. All right, thanks, Ruben. I really appreciate it. Have yourself a great night. You too. And that's it for the show, man. So thanks, everyone, so much for calling in. It was a delightful, delightful conversation, Matrix, as always. And I really, really appreciate everybody's curiosity and attention in this conversation to help out the show. Really need it. Really would love to get your help in helping the show survive and grow. Freedomainradio.com slash donate. Send us a sparrow, <laughs> sparrow shekel for an old ex-leper. Would really appreciate it. Freedomainradio.com slash donate couple of bucks a month, five, 15, oh, five, 10, 20, or 50 uh, one-time donations, bitcoins, whatever you can do, whatever you can spare. And if you've got nothing to spare, please at least share the videos around so we can get more lights of philosophy in the benighted sky of the mental landscape of mankind. So freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Please, please, we need your support. This is Stefan Molyneux for Freedom Radio and I dare say, Modern Philosophy signing out. Have a great night. <laughs>